0: 1994年 11月 20日
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. I am your host, uh, George Thompson, and I have with me, as always, Sarah Parkin and David Forrest. Hey up! That that was your that was your cue. Yes.
0: Hello. <laughs> we cannot be stopped. Some some okay. said that we could be stopped, and we cannot be stopped. We will always keep coming back to do episodes at really protracted periods of time, but we we will continue. <laughs>
2: Just when you think that you've finally gotten rid of us, rabbiting on about Big Egg podcasting universe, unfortunately, we are back with another with another installment.
1: I mean, we're down for at least another three more episodes of this, so you know. <laughs>
2: Good luck, listeners.
1: Yes, we'll see you in 2025. Um, so uh, today we are going to be... Uh, it's, it's finally time for men's wrestling to get a spotlight. Uh, you know, it's uh, something that's little remarked upon in the in the discourse, but, uh, you know, we really wanted to uh, to shine a bit of a torch on uh, the men's version of the form. So that's what the we're Mende going to be joshi, doing men's uh, The men's <laughs> joshi, yes, and... Um, So, yeah, there were a couple of men's matches on this uh, women's wrestling show. But I think the reasons for those men's matches being there are quite interesting. And we did promise to bring you every single match on Big Egg Wrestling Universe. And if we did the match with those Indian children wrestling, we kind of have to do these.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we we have, like, you know, French Olympian wrestlers figuring out that they can't wrestle in a ring because it's quite scary and they might fall through and crack their heads. Um, we we need to do this, I suppose. You know, um, the la- Lawrence Fox and the lads from GB News were on the blower and told us that you know that we are deplatforming the male race, and we need to you know we need to have some representation. So there you go, Lawrence. <laughs>
2: well, you know, I just don't think there's enough men's wrestling on the Pura Pura podcast. <laughs> you know, it's about time we even the balance out just a little bit. We're, well, you know. We needed a piss break match on this show, right guys?
1: Yes, and we got we got two of them. Both in traditional piss break match slots, actually, because one of them is the second match on the card. Also
2: uh, known as the Progress Women's Championship.
1: <laughs> <top>. Yes. <laughs> and hey now, some sometimes they have it at the end of the first half of the show, huh?
2: Honestly, just just fuck everyone who says look we fixed sexism in wrestling because we've got a women's title match but also it's the only match on the show and it's second on the card look, Fuck every p- one of them look, especially you progress
1: <laughs> progress ended sexism coda Rhodes ended racism so you know if someone could do homophobia then like uh, we can uh, can all live in the utopia that we've been promised for so long so uh yeah and the other match is like um it's just before the semi-finals of the V Top tournament, so that is kind of a cool down, uh, a cool down match as well. The traditional
0: uh, match twenty-one pest break. Uh, the <laughs>
2: yeah, the match that if the like Undertaker versus um, versus whoever it was that year had gone on too long would have been cut for time. Basically,
1: do you mean to say an Undertaker match would have gone too long?
2: Well, you know, it was um, which one. It wasn't the Taker versus Punk match, was it, at 29? It was the one that was meant to be Funkadactyls versus the Bellas, and literally they got cut for time because it overran. Ah, that's right. It overran, and they were only going to have like a five-minute match sort of as the the cool down before the main event. Oh, no, 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 it was Undertaker Triple H. WrestleMania moment. Oh, yeah, well, that makes more sense. (laughs) (laughs) That figures.
1: Pardon pardon me for uh, not being able to identify the precise Undertaker WrestleMania match that went too long.
2: Well, quite.
1: Um, yeah, so uh, we are going to start with match number two on the show. This is a handicap match pitting uh, Silver X Sunakake versus Buta Genjin and Great Little Muta. So, um, firstly, the fact that it's a handicap match at all is kind of a bit weird because um, there I, I certainly think I weren't. Know why, though. Uh, is it because these guys were literally their entire division
0: yeah they only had three people yeah exactly yes they did so um
1: so we're going to be talking about the um ajw minis division and in 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 particular why did ajw have a minis division that was guys so
2: um i'm very confused david do you understand
0: i mean who does (laughs) like let's be honest who does (laughs) um the only thing i can think of with this i mean this this is a long-standing title like they they, like they they had a wwe wwe title from like basically the start of ajw like i think like when chigusa nigail was having her insane reign of terror the you know the minis title was being defended on on these <laughs> um yeah, on, on those the, shows um, it,
1: it's the wwa world midget championship not not our uh, terminology there so don't shoot the messenger and it was uh, it's a title so obscure it does not have a cage match profile which i've literally never seen before like every every belt has, like some like intrepid traveller has lovingly logged all the different defenses of that belt uh, in great detail. This one, n- not a jot. Uh, it's not on the line in this match anyway. But like it did exist, and they also had a, um, a round robin tournament where I think they wrestled each other like eight times or <laughs> each or something like that. <laughs>
0: It's like it's just a weird Nations League. Actually, it reminds me of um, me when I was a kid. Me, I, my, two of my best friends were two brothers called Scott and Kevin, and we used to have a thing called the League, which was basically a round robin. We would play each other like so many times, and we never finished it because it always got abandoned due to like like them getting into fights with each other because they were two brothers. Literally, just um, having to cancel the game because of like excessive football violence because they'd play me or whatever. And it would be like two people playing against each other with the other person in goals, and it would always come down to the brothers at the end or whatever. And then they would inevitably someone would put in a bad tackle, and then they would just start like punching each other and stuff. And then it just kept, and then one of them would run away with the ball, and it was just yeah. So I I hope that kind of happened with this. That would be a great a great way. But I, I, I don't think I can't I, I, I can't, I can't believe
1: there would be a football based violence in Scotland, David.
0: No, I know. It's unheard of. But but I mean um, like you see with the with the the WWE, uh, midget's title, I mean look at look at this um the first reign, length question mark to question mark. <laughs> Amazing. First champion won title on unknown date in nineteen seventies, vacated title in nineteen eighties due to retiring, title in really Revived in 1990, the next guy won it in the 3rd of uh, February 1990, and then lost it on the 5th of May 1998.
1: <laughs> is that first? If is that first reign with the title the longest reign with a WWA sanctioned belt apart from Mildred Burke?
0: I mean, that would. I mean, it would <laughs> help if be. we knew what the the length was. It could have been like it you was. know. 31st of December 1979 to like the 2nd <laughs> of January 1980, spanning. Two That's decades. a very
1: good point. Yeah, um, so I, I I imagine this was a handicap match because um, do you, do you remember that? I think it was WrestleMania 30. They had the the 14 way Divas match, and it was very much a get everyone on the show uh, uh match. And it didn't even go 10 minutes like this is the least amount of people you can do and get everyone on the show because it would have been really harsh if they were like right this is the the biggest spotlight you guys are ever going to have but we're going to have to leave one of you off the show
2: what what confuses me about it though is i know that you know the concept of the triple threat is not necessarily a big deal it is not necessarily kind of a significant one in japanese yeah. wrestling but You'd rather do a handicap match than a three-way dance?
1: Um I mean I I, I guess I mean th- three-way dances were real I mean at this point in history 1994 they were still quite an innovative thing in uh, American wrestling. 1994 was the advent of the uh, the infamous ECW Night the Line was crossed which I believe was their first three-way dance. So it's still pretty new in uh, it's still pretty new in America, never mind Japan and uh, they're not even much of a thing now outside of, you know, joshi under cards uh from time to time but you 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 won't see a a three-way match in new japan for instance and indeed the last one they had which i think was that omega Ribushi cody one for the belt oh, um, was uh yeah dog shit <laughs> and quite poorly received by the fan base uh so um yeah I, I guess that was why it was a uh handicap match because that's the thing like one of the like one of one of these guys is like he, he is much rounder than the others. He is not the one. He is he has got a tag partner, and, and they're against uh, someone who is the person against who the kind of handicap is so um the the other one is so, the great as, as far... Wouter,
0: supernatural powers that is the big guy and the guy with supernatural <laughs> yeah. powers against some poor bastard i mean <laughs> yeah, like, yeah they, who's like
1: a decade older than the others as well
0: it, it just seems to be that they used to just like exchange and like go down, you know um just change whatever but like because I, I i looked in cage match at them right and obviously they don't have all their, their records or anything like that however i did see one amazing one so um <laughs> where it was um Buteck injury and little great Muta and their normal up, get up against in in all Japan wrestling 1995 all Japan pro uh, women's wrestling in 1995 Tiger Ali Singh. <laughs> Tiger Ali so Singh pre- wrestled in
1: AJW. Presumably that's not the. Pre-
0: it is the Tiger Ali Singh.
1: So <laughs> no, it's not someone cosplaying Tiger Ali Singh. It's legit Tiger Ali Singh. Later in January
0: they just put them off against two minis and no one knows bloody why. hell I mean,
1: that is that i didn't say so i mean this is the other thing about uh, about this division so um they are um all they're all cosplaying another wrestler um in this match so uh and that, that was very common for the division uh you have so um for well, Sarah and I recently uh, did a little bit of research on behalf of uh, How to Wrestling when they reviewed AJW Destiny 1995 on their Patreon, and there was uh, there was a match on uh, again. I think I think the second match of the card, and I think it was Builders Little Nakamaki versus Little Tiger Sing. Singh, um,
2: something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. it was so. I, and I look I look back at uh, I look back at uh, the notes I've made. Um, at the time, and then so I, I went. I went and watched the video to think, oh, are these um, hitherto unknown members of this particular division? I was like, okay, no, it's two of the same blokes. They are just um, uh, playing different wrestlers. So, uh, so this is what we have here. So, great little muta. This should be quite obvious if you have even a. Uh, passing knowledge of Japanese professional wrestling.
0: Cosplay's Masahiro Chono. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the, he probably did at some point. And the others are... So, Uh, uh Silver X uh, Tsunakake uh, cosplaying a Michinoku pro wrestler who we're going to see later in the show. Yeah. And Buta Genjin is uh, a mini version of uh, Yone Genjin, uh, a.k.a. Kesen Numajiro, who, uh, who is uh, still wrestling at the age of 49. Um, so... And we'll, we'll see later in the other men's match on the show what this uh, Michinoku Pro um, uh, connection uh, also. Uh, so Genjin, um, I, I looked at the kanji for this means a sort of primitive man, and the booter is a word I mean, which means pig. So it's not the most uh, not the most uh, edifying name really for the uh, for the bloke.
0: For a minis wrestler, it could have been far far worse, to be fair. Knowing wrestling,
1: yeah, it really it really yeah, could. I mean, actually, this yeah. is this is the thing I kind of wanted to talk about um, just before we get into the uh, into the match because you you do get this, and this is I mean, this is not just in wrestling, but it's a it's a kind of bind that uh, people of short stature in the entertainment industry do end up um, finding themselves a lot of the time because um, you know you, you often have matches in. Um, in WWE for instance I mean you know we, we, I think a lot of us have probably seen the uh, the Chris Jericho one where he was feuding with Goldberg in WCW and he was like I'm going to wrestle Goldberg and there's a little person pretending to be Goldberg and like Vince McMahon just finds it the funniest shit ever uh, when you have someone with short stature pretending to be a, another wrestler and they, do, and, they, and they do this a lot and it, it is a gig for these guys you know um, in the same way that if you are a, an actor certainly in the UK uh, what is going to be a sort of steady and reliable gig for you, doing Snow White? And you know, it's it's a debate that has been had where some producers have gone, okay, well, is this okay to be using these guys uh, to play the uh, you know, to play the dwarfs in in Snow White? And but then the actors go, well, actually, this is a gig for us, and if you take it away from us, uh, you know, what what do we have? So it's it's kind of the the thing is about these guys there. They're doing what is in effect in this match um, a kind of burlesque of quote unquote serious wrestling, mm. but at the same time, if they weren't doing this stuff, then they would they've been offered the gig at all. So it's it's kind of it's a kind of strange and quite uncomfortable dynamic uh, when you see this kind of stuff on the on the show.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like they're never going to be pulling out ROH five star work rate matches. Even even if they wanted to, if you do I mean, like, this is not going to be a, a, a thing that that's afforded to them. And I think that
1: no, I mean, this is the shortest match on the show as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it, no, surely the the Indian child fight is less than that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Sorry, no, no. Sorry, it's the. Uh... I think it's the only match on the show that doesn't even get five minutes. But the yeah, the Indian, well, we don't know how long the Indian child fight left. because <laughs> I think we only it, got highlights.
0: It that it could have been clipped. Yeah, um, <laughs> of all of all of all the matches to clip. Um, off, off of the <laughs> Release weekend.
1: the Indian child fight tape, AJW. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but no, like, with that, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of a. It's not an exact comparison, but a sort of there, there is an argument to be to be said about. Well, you know, they're not given this opportunity to work to you know the, the same sort of work rate standards um as say you know a heavyweight or you know even you know the joshi wrestlers and stuff like that but it's kind of bred this different style where they do they do have their own different style in the same way they say luchadors have their own style and for example say like you know joshi wrestlers had their own style compared mm. to say people from new japan or all japan and it, it's kind of one of those things where like it's the chicken or egg sort of thing where it's like what what comes first is it you know do they, do they want to do this style because this is a style that they know and you know that, they, that this is their craft and they want to kind of improve on that craft or is it a case of this is just kind of a a make-do because they can't do the stuff that they want to do there there probably is people who um you know of a uh, smaller stature who who want to kind of well i mean i mean look at somebody like for example el torito um, i can never remember hmm. is it masquerita dorada there's about eight thousand Masquerita, masquerita Durada, and, yeah yeah um who is an excellent excellent wrestler by any metric like he is absolutely fantastic he moves around the ring stuff like that and you know when he was um in mexico and stuff and he done one of my favorite wwe matches of all time the wlc match but the wlc match is also it is a empirically very good match but is also still yeah. in that sort of style where they've taken that style and made it into the sort of best that, the best that they can do from it and it's one of those ones where it's like el tito probably could have really really good sort of traditional matches but as well as that he's one of the best at that at, at that's at the style that he he is you know that the minis do and it, it's just kind of one of those weird ones where like you know did he want to do this because this is the style that that they do or is it because it's a make do
1: yeah i mean that's the that's the thing to do with i mean i've actually uh written a note about the about the WLC match I've itself. Got to say
2: to be honest I was wondering like how long it would take before uh, before somebody invoked the spirit of the WLC match I, I, mean, I, I mean I mean it is it first.
1: is legit one of my favourite matches but that's the thing it it's was it, it is um, a I think intended as a a comedy segment um, like an, an essentially uh, an excuse for the, the writers to make loads of loads of short jokes but it was elevated above that by the fact that the guys involved in the match went so fucking hard yeah. like they I mean and, and clearly them thinking to themselves shit like uh, so certainly Hornswoggle um, like El Torito you know he's he's from a scene where there is actually this great tradition of wrestling for people of, of smaller stature and so he like he's had great you know, work great classics in the past. On all fucking hadn't. So, like, you know, they've had they, interviews
2: with him where he said that that
0: was the thing he's proudest of in his entire career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Even like, they, fucking they think Drew he...
0: McIntyre has, like, lauded it and was <laughs> one of the proudest things that he's done. Like, former, like, two time, three time WWE champion who won the title of WrestleMania. Is it we He yeah. was just, everyone, everyone involved was just so, they were like, they wanted to make it the absolute best it could be. And, they're throwing themselves through tables and stuff like that to make it what it was like. There's not a single person at that match who, like, is, is feels demeaned by it or anything. They're making it the absolute pinnacle of what it can be, and they put their all. Yeah, on that's one hundred percent.
1: Yeah, they they like they took like so many like Drew Tech's a fucking like uh, plancher bump through a table on the uh, to the outside, mm. like um, like every, everyone involved in that went so hard, and yeah because. You know, Huntoggle is thinking to herself, "When am I going to have to get the chance to to do a match like this, possibly ever again in my career?" Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not really sure we did. I think they might have done a rematch on Raw, but they didn't have all the uh all the sick table and chair and ladder spots. And uh, considering it was a show called Extreme Rules, um, that was one of the most hardcore matches on the show, yeah, if not the the, the most hardcore.
0: I think that was my favourite match of that show and that was the one with, like, the insane yeah. Shield... Ev- oh, that was the one with, like, the Shield Evolution 6-man and I think there was, like, a Daniel yes. Bryan match on there and all that. Yeah, but, and but and, blew and, everything away.
1: Yeah, and and the thing, again, putting it on the pre-show, it's the spot where you're like, oh yeah, this match doesn't really matter. But uh, in, in the same way that, like, you know, putting a match second on your on your 24 match uh, um Tokyo Dome show kind of indicated the audience okay this is not really a match that is considered to uh considered to matter but um I think the um the performers in this match certainly like uh, give it their all I mean I was I was very impressed with um uh well great little mutual little frankie was uh, the name he would uh uh, often go by because you know when we would do these things, and we'll have okay, we'll have a mini Batista or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, they they never they never really usually got the chance to do any moves because they just get beaten up by the heel, or even more dispiritingly beaten up by the face because <laughs> they love doing that as well. But um, when a uh, great little Moose got into the ring, it's like, all oh, right, he can do the handspring elbow. Okay, amazing. Like <laughs> like he could do he could do the Muta spots, and that's what I, that's what I because that, that's the other thing about these guys. Um, Having to do so many different gimmicks, like they must be really talented because you, you're not you you're not sticking to one particular move set. You're having to range across like a, a, you know, a huge range of of different of different move sets um, because of your particular role in the company. So one week you're going to be Great Muta, the next week you're going to be I don't know fucking Abdullah the Butcher or something.
0: I, I, I'm genuinely surprised after watching this that he never got a gig on WCW like. It's, yeah,
1: or WLUF, like when they were doing their, uh, they had a sort of short-lived minis division in the in I think like nineteen ninety seven, yeah, and ran, like ran, Vader, ran Man kind of stuff.
0: But no, I I thought that specifically, little great, Muta, like I, I I would have if you told me tomorrow, right, Chris Jericho fought little great Muta on Nitro and like a feud <laughs> against the, I'm like, yeah, that definitely happens. That that definitely happens, and I'm the, the really sort of thing They would have been. done. Yeah, they you definitely. The sort out, of thing they you? do. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, it just seems like a a a, a real sort of logical thing that, that, that they would have done, you know, similar to like when um, you know Jericho got out like the fake Goldberg and stuff like that and beat him and things. Yeah, like. yeah. It, it really feels like something that, that that they would have done. So yeah, and it just, it just seems like yeah, he he missed out, oh. especially because I mean we I watched some of the, uh, mini stuff from '97 in WWE uh, with Mini Vader, Mini Mankind, so we were going
1: and uh, max mini was the like the uh, the the A's. Like, max mini was incredible like just was. A, yeah. just a, a, just a, a, an insane wrestler um
2: but i mean like i say if you found out that any of these guys had had that ma- had had a match on nitro like you would seek it out because these guys are really good wrestlers like, they are I, I that's the thing like don't get me wrong like this match was absolutely short and sweet but you know they they got their shit in and i had quite a lot of fun with yeah there,
1: there was one really there's one really gnarly botch towards the end but apart oh. from that like there was this <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get we'll get to that because that was uh pretty pretty horrendous but like apart from that this is just like a a, a good well-wrestled match um i mean look muto was injured there is an opening in noah that's all i'm saying <laughs>
0: can you imagine katsuhiko nakajima versus little frankie <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes i can get fajita versus little frankie i mean
1: i mean look he he is a veteran and we know Noah is all about putting over the veterans at the moment yeah, like, like Nassau N- will probably give him a run with the fucking belt so um the, the the story of this match basically everyone's got their own thing that they're doing um great little muta does um uh, well Motor spots. Oh, he does do the mist spit before the match starts.
2: Oh
0: yeah, he did. I I and immediately the second he came out in the wee the wee veil, I'm like, right, okay, he yeah. got all the garb and then took it off and done the mist spit. I was like, I am locked into this. This is, <laughs> this this is my is boy. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, like the crowd gives it a uh, gives it a huge pop because they have they, their their senses have not been dulled into submission by ninety minutes of amateur wrestling. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that's true, actually. That was partially like I made that note as well. Because I said I literally wrote a note that said, um, crowd is into this from the off, brackets before the shoot fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, genuinely in my head I'm just like, Yeah, they haven't been you they, they haven't been destroyed by um by David's big Doris Blind yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, um, can you imagine if like you know how like you go to big wrestling shows and stuff like that and we've done it as well where you'll take a friend who oh i watched wwf like 1999 2000 whatever and you'll take them to a wrestling show and you'll kind of explain it to them or like you know someone who doesn't really watch wrestling or whatever but kind of has a has an understanding of it and quite likes it the better there'll be people that went to big egg who were like that who were really into like the beauty pair and stuff like that and then never <laughs> went like f- halfway through the eighties or whatever. And then the pass. Oh, they're doing a big Joshi show. And they've got guys coming back, all that, that that we used to watch and all that. Do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So first match turns up. Now, like, okay, I don't know too many of the people, but all the legends are later on. First match, it's like was it the juniors match? Maybe the juniors match might have been
1: it's just like so, rookies. Like, yeah, rookies um... match. Like, oh, all like, right, Chapa this is rookies. Yeah, Chaparita Rosario and, and three randomers. Yeah.
0: Yeah, see, so, but, oh, this is a rookies, and you're like, all right, I remember this from, like, Budokan 81 and stuff like that, you know, you put all the young lions on first, you know, fair enough, we'll, we'll give them a, give them their due or whatever, and then second match, minis, and you're like, wait, wait a minute, hold on, is that, is that great Muta, like, is, there, is that mini great, What what is going on here, and then just this, and you go, all right, okay, well, that was a bit weird, but I mean, we're we're back on track now. Here's 90 minutes of combat sports.
1: <laughs> it's such a weird start <laughs> to the show. I mean, that's and and conversely, there probably were fans who remember remember the minis division from the 80s, and were just yeah, were just like, true. oh, cool, good, good. these these the, these guys again. Um, they they do they're doing different gimmicks. One one wonders if they were doing like mini Tatsumi Fujinami in the 80s, or uh, or, uh, someone, or
0: someone
1: or mini like Tozan. Oh, <laughs> mini um... Tozan. That that is that has definitely happened as well. Probably on an AJW show, let's be honest. But uh, yeah, so uh, boutique engine does big lad stuff, and like it's uh, it's all like uh, clotheslines lines and uh, like um, shoulder blocks and stuff like that. And uh, Silver X uh, Tsunakake has a uh, sort of like does some quite cool moves as well. Probably the like the most impressive thing I um, saw in the match is there's this spot where little Great Muta he ends up like on the top of his head. Oh. Like doing a headstand quite yeah. early on in the match, and he gets spun, he gets spun around by Tsunakake and then he gets like thrown across the ring, and he actually skids a- along the floor on his head. Yeah, he That's does a handstand. So do. Like I've never seen
0: it. Like, I've watched a lot of lucha and a lot of WCW cruiserweight matches from on all from A to E shows on WCW. I've watched an an, an obscene amount of daft lucha and cruiserweight and you know spotfests and stuff like that. I've never seen that in my puff. I, I was genuinely like, Oh my god, like that that's amazing. Yeah. Like it, genuinely it's an like, impressive feat of like acrobatics.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's always a good a good Sign when you you're watching a match and someone does something and you're like physically how have you done that <laughs> like that should not be possible. And
0: if you said to me when we started the Big Egg Voyage, there'll be a match where you'll watch it and you'll go, you will not know how he did that. You'll think it's the most like one of the most impressive feats of athleticism you've seen in a wrestling ring, and it's it's going to be the mini's match. And by the way, I'm sorry, what? Like oh yeah, little great Mita is going to do it. And like, No wait, hold on, what? Like, this is going like building a canal. Oh. And like Azure Kong and Manami Toyota doing all and just inventing moves at the wazoo, but this is going to be the match that's going to make you like. Yeah, yeah this is the thing that
1: absolutely blew my. That's the thing because I've I've seen like so much of. Uh, I've seen so many like Mad Manami Toyota no hand springboard dives to the outside. Like I'm I'm very familiar with uh, with all of the mad shit the uh, the Joshi roster is doing. I've, I ain't never seen this before. This is arguably more impressive of a physical feat than anything in the Michinoku Pro match we're going to talk about later.
2: Oh, genuinely absolutely. like these guys these guys came to came to bump like <laughs> there are some absolutely insane yeah
1: i know and uh you thing. know there's uh but like amidst all this there is just to you know bring it down a bit there is sort of the the slapstick stuff that um you know there's a there's a spot i mean i like this spot don't get me wrong where um uh sunakake ends up uh getting put in a little trolley and sort of <laughs> it was this is fucking brutal as well just like yeeted down the, down the ramp on the trolley and like right right into the ropes like yeah it, but
2: where does the rope land the rope is yeah. basically on the the rope is basically it goes straight into his throat yeah it's but it's genuinely, real bad i'm amazed that he kept wrestling after that Yeah. That, that must have been horrendous and and there was
1: also the bit where one of them is kind of in uh, infringing upon the rules and the ref hits him with a fan like you know that's you know it they wouldn't do that Spot if it was, um, if it was the you know the Michinoku pro match or the any of the Joshi matches on the card, that is like the, the referee does not usually physically assault the wrestlers, and you have no. to kind of conclude it's because of their stature that they did that spot, yeah. So that's the other thing. While you're watching this match, even though they're doing these uh these impressive physical feats, there's still that little bit of like eh, okay, this is maybe not a not great,
0: <laughs> yeah. And again, it's, it's one of those f- things where it's like like, obviously that, you know, the, the slapstick with the referee and stuff like that, I'm kind of like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, I mean, like, I mean, I, I'll give you an example of, like, Ebersan and Cabucho Kamen, well, they would do stuff like that as well, like, and they were full-on, like, you know, Bill well, Kika as you know now, but like, they, they would do full-on comedy stuff and all that, and they, the referee would slap them and stuff like that, and the uh, and it is obviously part of the slapstick, but I get where you're coming from. Where with that, where like, yeah, it's, it just yeah. feels a
1: bit. It feels a bit off when it's like yeah. you've got this referee, much bigger than the performers, just uh, hitting them with a fan.
0: I would say as well, though, like if they wrestled a purely straight match, would it be more entertaining than this?
1: Hmm. I to to be honest, I I mean the thing is like. You can't really know because like they never really did like straight wrestling matches in this in this division. That's the thing. You've you've got nothing to compare it to because that they're, they're always dressed up as as fucking like Mr. Pogo or whatever.
0: <laughs> I think what I mean is that like this is the second match in the show, right? They're not they're not going to be given twenty, regardless of who they are. They're not going to be given like twenty five minutes to go out and drop each other on their head. Well, you, 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 well, we'll come back to that. But you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, they're not going to go out of twenty five minutes and do the the two point nine nine Josie bridges. Everyone stamps their feet and claps and stuff like that. It was always going to be a, a quite a compact match, anyway. Where like with that and. It's, it's one of those if they wrestled a straight match irrespective of who they were if they just wrestled a straight wrestling match I, I don't think it w- would have been as entertaining irrespective of who it was because of the placement on the show and how much time they got but at the same time it's like again it goes back to this is a tradition that you know we have wrestled this way for years and years and years and kind of honing our craft and stuff like that and again is this a tradition because you want it to be a tradition or is this a, bit a tradition because you've kind of been cornered into it and like you know this is kind of just what you do but i i don't know like i really enjoy the slapstick stuff and i and i get obviously that it can feel a bit um a bit a bit spicy shall we say in terms of. yeah yeah um, i mean
1: i guess that's i guess that's the other point to to raise is that this is this is their style so yeah if they had done a straight wrestling match that's not sort of the thing that they've built their careers on this kind mm. of this kind of mimicry and uh and and you know uh adding to that like do, doing the great mooters move set's probably really fun yeah, <laughs> like, um... yeah.
0: it's yeah it, it's absolutely what i'd want to be if i was a wrestler just cosplaying as a great mooter doing handstands and spraying people yeah with
1: my... i mean the uh i mean speaking of uh, great mooter spots um, so we're gonna we're gonna uh, talk this so we have a um... Uh, so we, we don't, we don't get the, uh, the famous Great Muta moonsault, but what we do get is a, uh, bit, bit of, bit of, uh, bit of high-flying, an assisted, uh, Swanton bomb from Little Great Muta off of the shoulders of, uh, Booty and, uh... Well, it, when it,
2: you say assisted...
1: Well, yes, no, hindered would, uh, would be uh, <laughs> more accurate, I would say. A hindered Swanton bomb from the shoulders of Booty Engine. uh, he, he does not get the distance and, um basically he, he literally
2: he slight he basically slides off Boots shoulders and sort of slides off Lands on his head. It looks really awkward. I'm convinced that was meant to be the finish, and then they basically had to just figure out something else. Well, I
1: don't, I don't know because like he he did finish with the STF, which was a thing that uh, Muta I would mean, have used. So yeah, but like... well,
0: it did look like there was a moment where they were all looking at each other like, oh fuck, what are we gonna do now? Yeah, I genuinely thought he was paralyzed for a minute. Like it genuinely, <laughs> yeah. was like, oh my, like it's it's not like oil oh, landing in his head, whatever. Full on on the crown. Just yeah,
1: was... we've seen a <laughs> man die. I
0: think the best way to explain it is know how you watch about like, the olympic divers and they'll dive in yeah. and, they'll, and they'll go in and they'll like go in head first and it, it was like that it was, i mean you're getting like a 9.5 for execution off the diving board sadly he wasn't going off a diving board he was going in he was in a fucking wrestling ring and and the, the thing the thing as well is that they, they show a close-up of him afterwards right and he's selling it like he's been paralyzed and that he's like he does that thing where people whenever they land on their neck they're always like they they sometimes spasm their hands. If, yeah. if he was doing this i'm like oh my god like he's actually like fucked himself up is it up selling right? obviously just, just like up done legit an stf <laughs> like, right, yeah man. that's
1: the that's the thing yeah it's like yeah just like great uh, i mean and like i mean he clearly was fine cuz he kept wrestling up until like um I mean, this division, like um, considering all the uh, all the cost cutting that AJW ended up doing, this division carried on into the 2000s. This was a mainstay of the show, uh, you know, more or less up until uh, I I think they sort of wound it down a couple of years before the company finally finally went belly up. But uh, this was this was the thing they kept kept doing.
0: I think the last guy had it in two thousand and two. Like so, it was proper. Like yeah, Yeah, yeah. As well as that, like I mean, if you look in cage match, like and as well as that, there is there is stuff on uh, YouTube. Like they used to do. So they used to cosplay as Anita and do exploding death matches.
1: Oh yeah, no, I've 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 seen I've seen some of these. Yeah, so they could do the hardcore shit as well. They
0: do. They also done a tear gas match. I remember Jesus Christ, t- what? It's been I, it's taken off me, YouTube, right? I remember watching it when I was, like, 22, and it was, like, it was yes. like just the usual... And it was sort of like an exploding bomb match where you go the ropes or whatever, but instead of exploding, it would just let off tear gas in the ring.
1: Jesus. Like, out
0: of the ropes. And, like it, was, and it was probably just, idea. like, dry ice or something like that, right? I don't think it was actual tear gas, because, you know, that... I am sure the I'm sure the lads in Corican Hall would have been delighted eating a really bad chicken nuggets, and um, getting tear gas <laughs> in the front row. But um, yeah, they done it, that. and That's I love that flaming table. table
2: or tear gas.
0: Oh, uh, 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 like, like that,
1: like that, uh, big Japan match where Shadow WX like lights himself on fire and then like <laughs> panics and runs into the crowd.
0: Do you know what? I'd I'd probably take the the flaming table because I think it'd be quite fun to go for a flaming table. do you yeah i think it i think if somebody said to me if somebody said to me you do this you won't have any injuries and you'll be fine I think I, I think I'd probably do it. I think it'd be great fun. Well, that is
2: definitely how wrestling works, Dave. You can absolutely, definitely say yes. I will have absolutely
0: no ill consequences from jumping through this flaming table.
1: Yeah, no one ever did. No (laughs) one ever.
0: No, I think I think it would be a great adrenaline rush to go for a flaming table. Absolutely, I'd absolutely do it if um, you know I was in any way like not a physical wreck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but. but they've done like a bunch of VHS tapes of them, um, of exclusively mini's matches that were AGW wow. like production. Um, uh, Midget Mania, they were called. For um, <laughs> fuck's sake. Midget Mania, baby. Woo. Oh god. Uh, yeah, like but they yeah. they put lots and lots of these matches on there, and they have like explosion death matches and stuff. And like I've watched quite a lot of them, and yeah i i really enjoy them they're just a weird curio that like
1: yeah these are like these are talented guys like that's that's the thing yeah uh, yeah for for all that like is is this the best presentation of people with short stature in wrestling almost certainly not but like is is this the best match that under the circumstances wherein they were positioned in the promotion that they could have had yeah because like this isn't this isn't mexico um, and, and to be honest even in mexico a lot of the, the the wrestlers over there they are sort of mascots of an established wrestler like mascarita dorada mascarita sagrada these being you know diminutive versions of mascara dorada mascara sagrada um yeah. there was a uh oct- octagon theto um you know so like there's, there's there's lots of people like that even though a lot of the time they'll be off doing their own thing in their own division rather than tagging with the person whose mascot they are. So even then, it, even in the, the wrestling territory with the best representation for little people in wrestling, there's still this I- idea that you know, you're not really seen as your own thing. You're seen as a sort of extension of, of someone else's gimmick. So, uh, yeah, it, it is certainly fair to say that uh, you know, the, the industry you know, still now has a ways to go in terms of that kind of representation, like to say nothing of nineteen ninety four. Um, so yeah, after the after the match, a uh, so a dignitary turns up to does the presentation, but he's he, he's wearing the boutique engine face paint. Yeah, I
2: was <laughs> wondering about this. I was trying to figure out was
0: he, you know, was he the sponsor? Like, I, um, I,
1: so. I I I guess he was, and then Sula Kake sort of squares up to him, which
0: uh, I love. I <laughs> love the idea of like. A, a sponsor turning up in face paint. Imagine if you went to like hospitality at like <laughs> yeah, or like you know like motherville hospitality or something, and just turned up in your claret and amber face paint, just just there in your in your suit. Because I mean, you go to the hospitality, you need to wear like a suit or you know, like you know or like yeah, sort yeah. Of smart clothing and stuff like. You can't just turn up in your your shirt and like you know in, in tracky bottoms just going. Wife, mother will all that like you need to like you need actually like so i had to go buy clothes from Matland when i went to hospitality because i'm just a shambles of a human being but like I, I would love it if someone just turned up at hospitality just wearing like the face paint of their team like, just sitting there having their free course meal it's pleasing in the way. same
1: way that it's pleasing in the same way that um like luchadors wearing suits is pleasing. As like... long
2: as they always have their masks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like a, a guy
1: in a suit masks. wearing face paint. There is something of the unheimlich about it, and I think that's I think that's why it's good.
2: This guy I mean I, I respect his commitment. I respect his commitment <laughs> to the face paint and coming as his idol. But um, but yeah, um, Sunakaki Silver X is absolutely not here for this guy. Like, he's very unimpressed.
1: I, yeah, he's just like, um, he's just like, for fuck's sake, I've just had to fight a guy who's like much fatter than me and the a, 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 a literal great mooter. He's <laughs> like, can I catch a break, please?
0: Is this the Joshua equivalent of Phil Kit Wanker?
1: Yeah, yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Do you know what?
2: I think that's spot on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, to be fair, like the the, the best full kit wanker in Joshi is the guy in the Urawa Red Diamonds T-shirt. is always going yo. Oh.
0: i be I mean, like, short if someone turned up in a Akira Hokuto bride garb to like give oh, it the lovely yes, check. Um, yeah, I, I think mean, this is about time somebody did
2: that. To be honest,
0: like, yeah, you, even, you
2: I mean, I definitely would, except that there is no way in hell I could pull that off. Like, I could not pull off that look.
1: I think I think you could.
2: I mean, we're, we're saying that I now. Could. We're saying that now. It depends on. <laughs> oh, it's a, it, it's got to be quite a complicated pattern to cut, is that well, like full bride stuff? Like, it's going to cost a fortune to get that made because I have absolutely no skill or talent whatsoever well, in anything. Certainly not well, in
1: well, making Look, one. Luckily, look, Sarah, there are lots of bridal shops about. So you could just go in and. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it'd be horrendously expensive. <laughs>
2: I mean, yes, absolutely. Tell them I'm it's, thinking a like... it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a
0: birthday.
2: It's cheaper. Tell them it's a birthday. Get a, free, get a free glass of champagne that I won't drink whilst I'm there <laughs> as well.
1: So we are now speeding forward from match two all the way to match number 19 on the card. This is our second men's Joshi match on the card, um, which is uh, so it is a, a six-man tag. Uh, pitting the team of Sato, Shiryu, and Great Sasuke versus Super Delphin, Gran Naniwa, and Jinsei Shinzaki. So this is uh, an offer match from the wrestling promotion Michinoku Pro. Now, as to why there was uh, not just a men's match, because, like, the minis, okay, they're part of the promotion, but why is there an offer match from another uh, company on this show? The reason for that, you kind of have to go back to 1993. And so one of the things that is often... Remarked upon when people are charting the history of Joshi is at what point. Did the shift from having a predominantly female audience to a predominantly male audience happen and one of the big drivers in in this was the fact that in 1993 AJW started doing offer matches on the card of a promotion called Universal Lucha Libre which despite the name was not in fact a Mexican promotion but a Japanese one which was kind of a precursor to Michinoku Pro and uh, the appearances on The Universal Lucha Libre is is, is kind of a forgotten promotion now. You never really hear it talked about. But AJW's uh, presence on these shows was quite instrumental in bringing... Women's wrestling to the attention of the male fan base. You know, before that, it's pretty much just Terry Funk and Dave Meltzer. But um, uh, but now there was uh, an audience for it. And so they looked at this wrestling and went, well, this is really good. Better start going to the AJW shows. And many of the alumni of Universal Lucha Libre ended up in Michinoku Pro, and some are actually in this match as well. So that's, I think that is the, it, this wasn't just, um, picked at random to be the token uh men's match on the show you know there was a connection between the uh... You know, between the two companies.
2: David, you're really into Michinoco Pro, aren't
0: you? Yeah, yeah. So I believe that Universal Lucha Libre was um, Gran Hamada's... Um, yes, yes, it was. Uh, I think mean, Ayako Hamada's his daughter. But um, yep. yeah, so he was he started Universal Lucha Libre and it was based on the fact that he had wrestled in Mexico for so long and stuff like that and brought it over to Japan and started Lucha Resu or whatever. And then yeah. Gran Hamada was a big part of Michinoku Pro, um, he, you, I mean, there, we'll get onto it in a minute, but he is. If you look at a lot of the sort of vaunted matches that come from National Pro, Gran Hamada will probably be in them as like sort of fourth or fifth rung on, in the team or whatever. And um, yeah, so he and he had a big influence on like the likes of Great Sasaki and you know attack and things like that. And in terms of just how this the the, the promotion was styled, and yeah, so it would make it would make total sense that. Yeah, you know, a promotion that was run by Gran Hamada gave AGW a spotlight, so AGW would return the favour, and yeah, Mitch No Pro is going to be the one that they're going to do it for.
1: Mm. Um, I mean, we we did talk about the Lucha Vessi style style um, in, don't quote me on this, I believe it was episode 9.
0: I believe it's so. Eight, nine,
1: or, t- 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 tell you what, I'll just record myself saying the numbers 8, 9, and 10, so you can spice so it in whichever one it was. No, it was one of them. But when we talked about that Toriyamon Te- hmm. match, so yes. Tarimum, um is linked to um, to Universal Lucha Libre. In that Ultimo Dragon, who founded that promotion, was also a, an alumnus of Universal Lucha Libre. Although the style evidence in that particular match is very different um, from this one, but yeah, Mich- Michinoku Pro um, was, <laughs> it was it was it was it was pretty new. I mean, it's historically significant uh, for the fact that it was the first wrestling promotion in Japan to be based outside of Tokyo. It was based in the Tohoku region in the northeast of Japan. I mean, Tohoku literally means northeast. Um, So, uh, I mean, nowadays you have things like Sendai Girls and uh, Ryukyu Dragon Pro and Okinawa Pro. Uh, So there's there's quite a few promotions based outside of Tokyo. But at the time, uh, this was very, very unusual. So Mijinoku Pro was uh, really a couple of years away from the peak of its uh, popularity. In 1996, drew nearly 9000 people to Sumo Hall. Uh, for a show called These Days, aka These Days, if you say you're English, they'll arrest you and throw you in jail. And um, <laughs> it's uh, amazing
2: they saw that coming. They, they
1: they they did very 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 ahead of their time. Not just in ring, Michinoku Pro, but. <laughs> quite impressively for a a pretty small upstart promotion that wasn't even based in Tokyo they forged some links with uh, promotions in the West so uh, they had a link with um, ECW so this was really what I think introduced a lot of Western fans to this particular style of wrestling there was a six man tag match at Barely Legal 1997 ECW's first ever pay-per-view which included talent from Michinoku Pro, it was Michinoku Pro talent that made up uh, BWO Japan which was uh, them thinking okay well if the New World Order has a Japanese um, uh, satellite, then uh, we must have that as well. So they just got Blue World Order T-shirts and just gave them to three of the guys and was like, "Here you go." Um, and Seems legit. yeah, and, and that's a really well thought of match as well.
0: Yeah, that match that was a sort of um, that was really interesting because I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to talk about it in a minute about the WWF or whatever, but I know yes, yes. certainly like the the ECW match that was very, that was the, the thing that really stuck out with that was that it was barely legal. It was sort of ECW's biggest ever, and by that point. The ECW fan base was, let's say, problematic. That's probably a really <laughs> yes. problematic. Way of it. Um, and yeah, yeah, they were really, they're really problematic. Uh, but they, 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 liked the wrestling. Like, they, they did like, like, what rate wrestling? I don't know why. Oh, they yeah, yeah, they, they, they appreciated ECW. good stuff. Yeah. yeah, But um, yeah, they, they, appreciated good wrestling and stuff like that. But they, they did have a tendency where if something wasn't to their liking. They they would turn on it and in often quite horrible ways, especially if you were a woman or say Japanese or you know Mexican. Mexican. Yeah, exactly. So if you didn't look exactly like them, yeah,
1: if you weren't a fucking mutant from Philadelphia.
0: Exactly. So, um, but then they came out and people like it was that sort of thing where. I'm trying to think of another... Well, actually, we'll come on to another good example of another Mitch Noker one, but it was a sort of one... Well, actually, the WCW World War III one in 95 with the the Joshi tag is probably a, a good comparison yeah. of bringing this thing over that no one had seen them going out and having this insane match and everyone really, really enjoying it. And But the ECW fans, like, immediately when they came out, they were like... It was like when we went to um, Royal Quest and it was, like, a proper... You know, seeing like Japanese wrestling and stuff like that, and it was a proper. It felt real, and for them, it was a huge, huge moment. And then, like they started wrestling, and they just completely like the people who were there who who knew about them loved it, and the people who didn't know the the, the toxic assholes as well were like, "Holy fuck, these guys are amazing! This is like one of the best things I've ever seen," and blew everyone away. And the ECW crowd were just totally enthralled and. Just yeah, they they absolutely went with it. I adored it and just went with it so much that in a way that I'm, I'm not really seen from many crowds before or since. And certainly the ECW, yeah. just such a universal acceptance of something and just treating it with actual respect and not making jokes, not you know making sexist remarks or or anything or just trying to you know be. Edgy Arsenals They were like, "No, this is above this. This is amazing." And yeah, it's it's a fantastic match. I think one of the one. <laughs> it's a shame because I think I think Naniwa was meant to be in that match, and then for some reason just wasn't. And they brought in a guy who really didn't do much <laughs> in which no good. He was sort of like one one of the chaff, and he got into this like insanely vaunted match. Is probably the thing he's most. Recognized for now. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I never, I, I can't remember, I can't even remember the guy's name, but I know what you mean because I was like, yeah, yeah I've never I heard, I've that. Never, yeah, Yakushiji, yeah, that was it. Yeah, I, would never heard of the bloke up until that. I would imagine for many of the, um, well, some of the people who attended that show, it's probably the first Japanese wrestling they'd seen. Full stop. Never mind. Um, from Michinoku Pro. I mean, yeah, they, they, they did, they did um, react to it. Well, so yeah, they had this link with ECW, and then also in, um, WWF, uh, they Michinoku Pro talent was used for their light heavyweight division, which is kind of their idea uh, to answer the cruiserweight division in WCW. Okay, they're using Mexicans. We'll use Japanese wrestlers uh, instead. So a lot of Michinoku pro guys came over, like uh, Sasuke um, and... Uh, was it Sasuke versus uh, Taka? Yeah, so Taka and Sasuke. One was one Canadian, Canadian Stampede?
0: Yeah, Canadian Stampede. And it was yeah, that's so right. good. There was, I remember there was a guy in the crowd who said, I came for great Sasuke, or for giant sign and stuff like that. <laughs> it, was, it was so good, right? It was so good that they they had a rematch on Raw the night after because everyone loved it so much and like
1: yeah that that's how you know you've got over.
0: Um, I like I I love the like the attack. I, I think at some point uh, as part of the Pure Free podcast we should do an episode on like attacks like Heavyweight Rain because those matches are all really really good on mute. I should stress. On mute, they are really <laughs> <Yes. good. laughs> off mute. Was um, on commentary, yeah, yeah. Jerry um, Vince, yeah. I think. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I
1: know.
2: Sound off, sound off. That, but that's
1: bad commentary, even when they're not being racist, yeah. But yeah, like but, just, just to jimbo, but when are they not being
0: racist? <laughs>
1: well, in, well, <laughs> well <laughs> indeed, exactly. um, I but, mean, but yeah,
0: the Taka Sasuke matches, Canadian Stampede was was brilliant. And there a lot of Taka like heavyweight matches that are like, excellent. Like when I was a kid, I, I wasn't. That like I'd watched them. I really enjoy. I enjoyed them, but they weren't, you know. I was like, oh, Undertaker, Rock, Stone Cold, whatever. And then when I got back into wrestling, I watched all the Taka ones again, and I just absolutely adored it. He was, he was so, so good. And it is a bit of a regret, to be honest, that they didn't, they didn't just go full ham when they mentioned Okra Pro, because they're only there for like, you know, a couple of weeks a month or whatever. Yeah. And he also did the AAA guys in as well, because CMLL was, um, yeah, so they, right. they brought in Triple and I'm like, there were so many guys. Uh, between Triple E and Michinoku Pro, that you could have used to build a legitimately amazing, like light heavyweight scene, and then uh, nah, can't be ours. That was
1: it. No, it was no, e- exactly, exactly. Like it was kind of a bit of a bit of a dead loss. Uh, really, they never really committed it to. It was like, I, I can't, I can't see the muscles on these guys. Um,
2: well, I think that's a it's a recurring theme, isn't it? With with, with WWF trying anything that isn't. You what what Vince considers to be his kind of norm for professional wrestling because remember we're essentially telling the same story here of it started as a good idea but they didn't commit to it and then it died as all of their attempts at setting up a women's division yes. as we were talking about you know with the working relationships with um, between WWF and, and and Joshi promotions you know it's it's essentially it's just the same shit different trousers
1: yeah absolutely and uh, yeah that's and if you want to hear more about that then Big Egg Podcasting Universe episode nine. So, uh, and uh, the, yeah, uh, Michinoku Pro actually is still going as a promotion. It's certainly very, very far from the um the peak of uh, critical and commercial success that it had in the '90s, but it is it is still limping along. And I know a lot of uh, pur fans. Um, you know, just as there are people who will watch WrestleMania and that's their wrestling for the year, I know a bunch of pur fans who won't watch Michinoku Pro. Uh, for the other 364 days of the year, or even think about it very much, but they will definitely tune in for the Great Space War. And uh, you guys have both seen a a number of these. That is the the spectacular... happening shall we say instituted by the great sasuke it's a great
0: sasuke y- testimonial isn't it it's basically what <laughs> yeah, it really it is, is. <laughs> it's just his match <laughs> every year all the gate receipts go to him um, yeah
1: everyone's dressed as like fucking characters from star wars or marvel yeah. or something like that sasuke will do a stupid it'll do it's a absolutely stupid
0: insane yeah i love it i went for a phase um oh, i trying to think what it was maybe about three four years ago where i watched mitch no on the reg uh, for a wee while and it was him um, they Like it is, is it's a it's a good promotion. You have a guy like you know, uh, is it Yoshisune? Is the guy who had the Mm. the drugs in Yoshirai's painting?
1: Oh, that was um.
0: Yeah, he's got, like, 8,000 names. I believe he's called... I was Peter going to Page. say,
1: we're not libeling anyone. It's just Sugi under another gimmick, yeah? Yeah, yeah, he has, like, 8,000 cool, characters. Oh good. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but he's he's a Mitch pro, and he is genuinely one of the best, like, juniors in yeah, the Yeah, it's
1: world. a shame he's a massive cunt, because he's really talented. <laughs> yeah, except, that like, about a lot of people in Messi, I guess.
0: Um, so I used to watch quite a bit, because I really enjoyed watching him, and, um, and there was a bunch of other people, and they'd have, sort of, Dick Togo and stuff like that, who we'll get onto in a minute and that. But he yeah. also just had, like... Um, Chan, um, probably like top three workers in all of Japan in the two thousands. Um, he was he was there, and they also had Walking the Mummy, um, who <laughs> was a mummy, and I don't mean like the Yeti. I mean like a full on. He would only wrestle, going oh, and walking, <laughs> and he would always just like get you that. in a, a collar and an elbow tie up because that's <laughs> how his arms moved and stuff. And then um, they also had Samba de Janeiro who was, I think he came out to Samba de Janeiro, and he just used to go Samba! And dance, like, in the ring and stuff, and he used to have, like, mad tail feathers and stuff like that, and they had so many, they had a real great crop of just weird gimmicks that really worked, they really found a niche for themselves, and the, 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 the weird gimmicks were, were fantastic, I loved it. I think Manami Toyota wrestled, like, one of our last matches in it, against Gabaiji-chan as well. Yeah, um, she, well,
1: well Gabaiji-chan is one of the um, the only people who managed to get a win against her in her retirement <laughs> gauntlets, Like, by count out, but it still counts.
0: It's very say, much like, the it... WWE booking, isn't it? Who is the oldest yeah. person here? Let's get them like...
1: <laughs> Put them over, God damn it. Yeah, let's put them over.
2: I have to say, it is, if you asked me to describe what I have seen of Michina in in a word, it would actually just be gimmicks. Like, yes. it feels like it is a gimmick. Pro- it is a gimmick promotion full of gimmicks, and it gimmicks its way through everything that it does. And in this case, like this match that we're talking about, has so many shenanigans. Like it's, I can completely see why the crowd gets so into it because it is, it's really different. And when you think about where this comes, so they've had, so they've had like all of the first round matches for the VTOP tournament at this point. Now stay tuned next week, kids, because this is, well, let's face it, next year, but the point, but you know, we're eventually we will talk about those and all of those matches are exhilarating and great and they are knackering and they take themselves quite seriously. Like by the time they get to this point, you can really tell that the crowd is just up for a laugh or they need a breather. Yeah. And that's exactly what they're getting here. Like this is really like, it's leaning into it's leaning into that and saying, Hey, you want the you want a laugh? I'm gonna give you some bollocks here, guys. <laughs> yeah. And that is absolutely what it does.
1: So I've just I've just seen on your notes it's because like this is I think this is your first um, time watching a lot of these uh, a lot of these. Like you've seen Sasuke, yeah, but I think the rest are kind of new on you. I'm just looking at your notes where it just says Super Dolphin equals Green Shinzaki equals Hat. And that concludes our extensive three-week course.
2: Genuinely, I was really struggling to keep
1: (laughs) this. This is like when Homer has Lenny equals white, Carly equals black, written on his hand. Please
2: (laughs) please bear in mind that fundamentally, like most men's wrestling, bores me. Yeah, Sarah's reviewing this
1: match and the suffering. It's like we can't stress this enough.
2: Like genuinely, I pretty much only agreed to do the men's matches on Big Egg if we could put them in what I perceive to be the piss break spot before we get into the V top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because fair's fair.
0: I I'm not gonna lie, right? I saw the link for this before I started watching it, and I was kind of gutted because I I kind of hoped that they were gonna do the um the the divas Survivor Series special. Sometimes, I'm absolutely. gonna go like eight minutes and have like twelve pinfalls. Partly because a that would be really really funny and inverting the trope but also be it would probably be fucking amazing as well if they did it yeah
1: with,
2: with these yeah. guys it probably would yeah yeah
1: i i did say to sarah when uh, after we watched this i was like do you want to know something that's going to make you really mad this is the longest match on the show
0: yeah i was surprised when i seen the length i was like really like i mean i know that i know that they're, they're going to piss about and stuff but i mean but really, like, did we? Did they didn't even get separate entrances or anything, so we couldn't even use that as part of like, the video link for anything like that. was like, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we should probably talk about the guys uh, in the match before we sort of.
2: Yeah, although the the one thing I will say about that is, um, we we put this on on YouTube on our telly to watch it, and uh, George saw how long it was, I didn't, and then we got, <laughs> literally we got halfway through this match, and I was like, is this still going? Like, genuinely, like, I couldn't believe how long this match was going. Yes. And I think, and, you know, and we'll get into the match later on, but it is, like, it feels like it's a, okay, we've got to get our shit in match, but also, like, a match that, that approach probably shouldn't go
0: as long as it does.
1: No, I think I mean, we'll get we'll get to what we thought of the match uh, a bit uh, in a bit. The pay
0: per view provider have strictly said we need to have nine and a half hours. We are only <laughs> nine hours and five minutes at this point, so you're going Broadway, lads. <laughs>
1: Every scene without dialogue was cut for slow motion.
0: It, it does feel like you know Minami um, Toyota or like unexpectedly needed to go for a shit or something like that, and they're like, you, you just need to stall for ten minutes. I'll I'll be yeah, back. It's like, if
1: this is if this the piss break match how much piss do you got to do? <laughs> so um yeah so the, the, the men in this match we should probably talk about um a little bit before we start doing it so uh, sato and Shiryu um, are representing uh Kai and Tai. so that is uh, a name you will probably know if you watch era WLF at all. So Takamichinoku and Funaki were Kai and Tai in uh WLF. I mean there was an early iteration from Kai and Tai came over in like ninety eight there's this great three on two handicap match where it's Kai and Tai versus um Takamichinoku and Bradshaw. And it's got Bradshaw doing the gnarliest hot tag of all time. He's just killing these three Japanese guys. Um, I, I bet he fucking loved it as well, didn't he? Also,
0: shout out to um, Kai and Tai versus the oddities from SummerSlam 9 8, which is just full yes. of papers. It's such a good match. And it's got a lot of these guys. Absolutely. I think it was five on three. And it was like It's Taka, Funaki, Shiryu, uh,
1: S- Giant Silver.
0: say, <laughs> yeah, Giant Silver, Kurgan, the lads yeah, gold
1: guy. yeah all, 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 all the stars are
0: here <laughs> so
1: um yeah so um Sato and Shiryu are representing I here so yeah it wasn't just the same two fellas but um you will probably you might not know the names Sato and Shiryu but you might know them if I say that uh, Shiryu is a uh, Kaz Hayashi oh. who was in uh WCW in uh, the Young Dragons and I believe is now with Gleet
0: Yes, yes. Um, can I can I just wax lyrical about casting Ashley for a minute? Because you you may if you like. I, as, as anyone who's listened to this podcast for more than literally ninety seconds will know, I am obsessed with WCW um, between ninety six and ninety nine. I think it's the greatest period of wrestling of all time. It's just nonsense. It's I I love it so much. But as well as that, they used to have the uh, the cruiserweights and they used to have like 18 shows a week and like, the the, la- the 16 of them would just be, here's a guy you thought died 6 months ago against a guy you thought <laughs> retired 12 months ago and they'd just be a total lottery <laughs> literally anyone can turn up um uh, under any guys I remember uh, Kazayashi once wrestled as Lismat, or, um no he literally he, he was Glacier for a while he, he bought Glacier's um, outfit and became glacier. What? Uh, did you all notice that Kazayashi was glacier no. for a while? Yeah, Absolutely did not know. Glacier this. came into fiduciary trouble, which is weird, since he was in fucking WCW on insane Saudi <laughs> Arabia money. But um, and then they had done a storyline where Gr- Glacier was in fiduciary trouble, and they, they'd done a storyline where Kazayashi bought the glacier gear and like the lights and, and stuff and, like that
1: and then he won back his money and became happy glacier
0: yeah well yes exactly oh my um God. but um yeah kashiashi like 1999 2000 like uh, the young dragons like them and free count has some ama- like at the, at the height of TLC, these were the sort of the B-sides, the matches that yeah, yeah. you you know, if you were a proper head, whenever all your other pals are like, oh, TLC was amazing. you're like, yeah, but Young Dragons versus Free Count and New Blood Rising were, were great. I love those matches. There's, as well as that, my one recommendation for Hayashi, like for him, for me growing up, it was him, Jushin Lager and Ultimo Dragon were the free sort of, they were the first free Japanese sort of cruisers or Japanese wrestlers that I was aware of. I never really regarded Taka as a Japanese wrestler at the time because he was contracted to WWF and occasionally went to Michinoku Pro, if you know what I mean, he was more of a WWF wrestler, whereas these guys hmm. were Japanese wrestlers who would have a sojourn over to WCW for stupid money um, for a wee while. So I, I loved Cassie Ashi as a kid. Um, his match against Raven on Worldwide is an absolute must-see, possibly the, the match of the year in WCW at that time, which is not high praise, but it is excellent it is brutal it is yeah everything you would want from like a six minute match and it's so so good and um i think i've done it i think i've put it on the stream before it's it's like needlessly yeah, that, that insane. Bell, actually. and um yeah uh, if you've never watched it go out and watch it but um no him like granel dragon were the free for me growing up of just these amazing japanese cruiserweights They were just yeah i loved them so much and yeah anyway tna say there for there for a while and all that and then done stuff and yeah, obviously he was in Open Road, All Japan. He's been everywhere. Yeah, yeah absolutely adore Kaz Hayashi He's amazing. I,
1: I have to say, like I've I've known you for years. I like knew about like you love Ligo and Ultimo I did not know about this Hayashi fandom. So that I've learned something today. Um and um so uh, Sato, uh, his uh his tag partner is a uh, a man uh, thoroughly beloved of the New Japan fan base at the moment, uh, Mister Richard Togo, and um, so Comrade uh, Richard he's...
0: Togo, Chairman yeah, yeah, of the I've... Politburo.
1: <laughs> Yes, he, he, yeah, Richard Togo is a comrade, so we have uh, his his Twitter handle is at Bolivia Cuba, which is extremely based. <laughs> so we, uh, we mustn't d- dunk on his terrible fucking booking too much. So, yeah, Dick Togo, he, he's a big boy here, which is kind of, uh, atypical for the, uh, for the, I guess, the general body type of a Michinoku pro wrestler who did tend to be, uh, cruiserweights. Um, and so, yeah, Dick Togo is here, and he was one of the guys who was in that, uh, matchup, Barely Legal. Uh, and then they're tagging with uh, the great Sasuke is one of the most recognisable figures in uh, in in Michinoku Pro. Uh, he's over like over with this crowd. This is the same year as the uh, the first Super Jacob, which Sasuke got to the final of and uh, had uh, he cleaned the scalp of uh, Jushin Liger in the semi final. Um, one of the, the the match where Sasuke fucks up a springboard, a like, sarcastically applauds him, and then gets rolled up for the three.
2: That's um, one of my favourite finishes to a match of all time. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's hilarious.
1: Like it's just some fantastic improv. So yeah, this is uh, yeah 1994, great Sasuke. Um, one of the most significant. Uh, junior heavyweights in japan uh he's still resting, as we've said he is uh doing stupid shit with barrels and in the great taking, space taking war.
2: every opportunity to uh sing it's my life by bon jovi and yes public he loves uh,
1: he loves karaoke um also unfortunately loves posting uh george soros conspiracy theories on twitter which is why we unfollowed him he was um, the one
0: who tried he's... to unearth the ufo fails wasn't he when he was an np yeah
1: that's <laughs> i know that was in OK.
0: No, they, I'm, no, I'm, I'm sure. sure. I, I think Sasuke
1: did. They it probably, they were probably both fucking at it. But like, look, it's...
2: let's be fair. This guy books the Great Space War every year, doesn't he? Like he's probably into those UFOs. Yeah, he
0: needs he needs some recon. But I, I, he was, I think, he, as an MP, he was also um, sa- No, it was Anita that was sacked for having orgies in his office. Was... <laughs> it's
1: so hard to keep track of this. I think I that was Anita. Yeah, it was Anita. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, it's good to know. It's good to know, vis-a-vis Sasuke, that um, uh, wrestler concussion brain is not just. Um, uh, you know, the American pro wrestling. It's all, but my joy, I like, I no. I think, I think blaming concussion brain gives you like an easy out. Cause like Mick Foley's had tons of concussions. He didn't go down the anti-semitic conspiracy theory rabbit hole. He just got really, really into Christmas to a frankly unnerving degree. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's the great Sasuke. So he's, um, He's still wrestling, and um, I mean, if, you, if you've if you ever heard the uh, term Sasuke special, the um, handspring into the uh, diver to the outside, that's that's something he invented. That's named after him, and you'll see this uh, in numerous uh, matches nowadays. So a really influential wrestler. On the other side, we have uh, Jinsei Shinzaki. So uh, as Sarah said previously, uh, he was the, the co-founder of Sendai Girls Pro Wrestling. Uh, he is a name that will be known to WWF fans for wrestling under the name Hakushi. He had a pay-per-view match against Brett the Hitman Hart. And if you we have a previous episode of the Pro Pro Podcast. If you listen to part two of our um, duo of episodes on Hulkamania era WF guys in Japan, Shinzaki had a match in Michinoku Pro against The Undertaker in uh, 1997. And uh, yeah, he's, um, he's one of the main guys in uh, Michinoku Pro. He main-evented the Sumo Hall show against Hayabusa from uh, FMW. And uh, I believe it was him and Hayabusa who tagged in All Japan towards the back end of the 90s, once Giant Barber started getting a bit less uh, isolationist after his arms were decommissioned. And um, yeah, so he's a um, really significant wrestler. Again, one of the bigger guys uh, on the roster. His gimmick is kind of, he's a sort of Buddhist pilgrim, hence the hat that Sarah had uh, helpfully written about on her notes. And uh, yeah, so he's he's here, one of the one of the main guys. He could not be in the Mitch pro offer match. Uh, we've got Super Delphin as well, who uh, who's the green one.
0: Yeah, Super so, Delphin, He 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 was an interesting one, and in that he he showed up in New Japan sometimes. I think he had some WGP title matches, and he was like we kind of thought about. He is he is the sort of journeyman who's been in literally yeah. if you can name a promotion he's wrestled in it, and and it pro- probably uh, many of them formed them. Um, but he mm. he he had some great. He was in the Super J Cup as well. He had some great stuff, and yeah, he yeah, he. he He's kind of a weird one, and he seems more he seems more visible than he actually was, if that makes sense. And that you think mm, that he yeah. done he was done more in big companies than he actually did. He just kind of had an impact when he was there.
1: Yeah, I mean he's uh, I mean he, he's yeah he's a guy whose name you see uh, banded about uh, quite often. Uh, but yeah, he's he's kind of, he was never really like uh, one of the main guys, but like he's somebody you've heard of, uh, Innovated the Dolphin Clutch. Yeah. One, one of the things I love most about uh, wrestlers uh, is if they have a signature roll up, mm-hmm, I really yeah. like that. And uh, yeah, and he is tagging with, uh, those two are tagging with Gran Naniwa. Um, Gran Naniwa, is um As the I greatest of all him. time. Like- he is the greatest of all time. He's yeah. also Makiito's favorite wrestler.
0: I will quite rightly. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I like you. You think my my fandom for Kansai Ashi is something? I, I genuinely right. I am not exaggerating when I say this. I think Naniwa might be in like my top five Japanese cruisers. I love him more than like with the fire of a thousand suns. He is every single match I see him in. I'm always just gravitated towards him. He just fills me with warmth and makes me laugh and. It's, it's what you want from a man, isn't it? It's just what it's just what you want. Um
1: Yeah, he's he's a crab man. Um he's he's a crab man. He does crab-related moves. There was a wrestler called Hermit Crab in Chicago, which was a just wholesale rip-off of uh, Grand Naniwa.
0: You can imagine what I was like when I we went to that well, yeah. I went to a Shikara show in Glasgow, and I hadn't really yeah. watched Shikara, and Hermit Crab came out, and I was like, it's fucking Grand Naniwa. There's a fucking Grand Naniwa like clone <laughs> on the <this> show. <laughs> like, just like honestly, like. Uh, he was in the Super J Cup. He had a match against Damian 666, which was a comedy match, uh, and like everything, in the Super J Cup's always really, really good. Anyway, like in terms of work rate or whatever, even the short matches. But oh yeah, yeah, he 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 was a a comedy wrestler who just absolutely nailed the art. He used to have giant pincers. He used to do like claw holes and stuff like that, and he was so great. And one one of the 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 fulcrums of my cruiserweight feds when I was younger. Um, yeah, I uh, he he died like quite a wee while ago, and quite it was quite sad. He kind of fell into a bit a, a bit of a rut, and was I think he was like quite ill, and I think he was in, like quite poor and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a it, it was a really it, it did hit me hard when I found out like when he died, cause I think it was only like five six years ago. But yeah, I I absolutely love Nanny Wild. I would I'd take a bullet for the man. He's he's so 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 good, and like yeah, he just. I, I never, I've never watched a Grand nano match and and felt anything but sheer joy. And yeah, that's
1: yeah. What I, mean. I mean the the um. I mean uh, I, I our, our friend Luca, all the Australians who's appeared on the podcast, uh, wrote about this in that when uh so uh, Maki Ito and I think it was Ito and Chris Brooks and Super Delphin tagged together in DDT last year, and uh Ito was getting to do all of the uh. All of the uh, Grand Nanyua spots,
0: yeah. and
1: uh, like, uh, and uh, Luke said that it's um, he never got the impression of Ito as someone who really found like wrestling, qua wrestling, as something that grabbed her so much as an opportunity for her to pantomime, you know, physical and, and mental torture. Yeah. But like, uh, he was like the first wrestler that really grabbed her just for, like, being a performer as a wrestler. And so she was clearly just having, like, the best time getting to do all his spots and tagging with Super Delphin, who was a, uh, you know, a uh, compatriot of his from the Michinoku Pro Days. I thought that was really sweet. And uh, the, um, the, the team of Dolphin, Naniwa and Shinzaki were kind of the heel team in this, the Bruno team. To uh, use the lucha terminology, they're not the only person there because we have uh, a guy dressed as a monkey. Um, he's got uh, a a buta guy on a chain, and he's all, and also Love Rat's
0: Takamichinoku
1: is there uh, standing stuff. <laughs> Love Rat, D, him.
0: D himself, is <laughs> yes, him. <laughs>
1: So yeah, he he's there, and I mean, he's named after the promotion. He's kind of uh, he's kind of got to be. So they've got they've got some goons, and I think if you're doing lucha properly, you do need some goons.
2: Can we just backtrack to the fact that nobody? Nobody is paying enough attention to the fact that there is a man dressed as a monkey, and on a chain he has a he has a bootleg engine. Yeah, he's like, got a
1: bootleg engine guard. One, one for the Kingsters. This is
2: like genuinely. Why? Where did this come from, David? Any insight?
0: I mean, like, what I, was I, Kiss I, and Numajiro doing
1: in 1994? Like, David, you must know this is your wheelhouse.
0: <laughs> I I consider myself where I can talk to you about most things you know at mpro i can i can fake a knowledge you know i can get by <laughs> nah man like i'm 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 struggling here i i'm generally i'm I'm not joking when i say this right i am looking up cage match through old mpro results to try and find a name that jogs the memory for me i'm going oh yeah, yeah like, it's this who is guy. the
1: monkey guy i have no idea
0: I mean, even I am struggling with it. But um, right, two things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a wee look here, right?
2: I feel a little bit better that you don't know who this is either. Like, you, I don't feel so bad for not I, knowing what's reckon, going on. I be...
0: recognise the face, right? I, I will say, I recognise the mask. What? But... <laughs> he's a monkey. <laughs> you can't no, recognise the face. No, 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 He's not. No, he's not not because a monkey I, I i've seen this this per, this eight before
1: I, <laughs> i've seen this ape think about what you're saying david i've seen this ape pressel before
0: but george this is a really innovative um way for you know currency to to move on you know, you get <laughs> a, a, you know a, non, a non-fungible token it, it means that you own something and you can you know it allows artists to connect um to You know, monetize it, and you to connect with the art more. Um, He certainly wasn't a bore date in this.
1: (laughs) He was, he was not. He had, he had a bloke on a chain. He's having, he's having a great time. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um... Unfortunately, he's not in this match, so no one can get him on his silver back to pin him.
1: Oh, for fuck's sake! Very good. That that's type of a product.
2: I'm just I'm I'm mixing up my primates, but oh, oh, it was the best it's, I could do under the it was know, the best I could do under the
0: circumstances. They're all, they're
2: all,
1: fuck it, they're all simians, right? Go, let's go on to the. Um, did you expect simians, in
0: Big Egg Wrestling Universe at some point to go? I'm mixing up my primates. Did you ever think that would be <laughs> I, in your business pods?
2: I can honestly tell you that was not in my original outline for this series when I designed it like two years ago. Like when I did that, but when I did that big like colour coded like diagram where I drew like arrows all over the place of like what matches went in what episode and why this was not on the list
1: <laughs> no so um the so they have the um so they do they, do, they, do adventures, they all come out together and uh, yeah Sasuke gets a big pop from the crowd as you would imagine and so there's, uh, there's a good bit of crowd work at the start uh Naniwa does some uh, does some muscle poses which is uh which is very good. And uh Shiryu, uh you should not be uh, confused with uh, Shinryu, the super boss from Final Fantasy V and Ten. for Fun fact. Um does some and uh handstand shall I say and uh, then some little you know how people like use their fingers to mime cutting stuff with scissors? Yeah. Um that does a bit of that to mock uh Naniwa. Um so that's that's good. Like you can you can tell the uh the how Chikar was influenced by this because this is really scheduled. um this is really laid out like a Chikara, King of Cheers match in that two guys come in, they do some spots, the next two guys come in, they do some spots, and then the next two guys come in, and they do some spots. So we've got um, a good beefy boy face-off between Sato and Shinzaki trading shoulder blocks. Um, uh, Shinzaki does a, a big gorilla first, and they do sort of lots of chops and slaps and stuff like this, and um, we get the first of what is um, – now, like I was expecting, and it's probably because I've not watched that much Michinoku Pro. I was expecting going into this something more like uh, Turemon, Um where I was, I was expecting, oh shit, there's there's no point in me trying to keep up with all the different moves that they're doing uh, because they'll be flying so thick and fast, yeah, and they'll be dive going all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. no, no, not a bit of it at this stage. Like there's a there's like three or four dive fake outs in the is very much when do we get into the fireworks factory with the dives
2: i feel like don't you feel like that the pacing of this match is actually quite odd though for precisely that reason because i felt like i mean it comes in and it actually starts you know a bit more grapply it starts a little bit more technically and then it starts building up you know in the way that you know a a lot of these matches do and you can see like part of you know i think part of the feeling uh, about this is that it's maybe not quite so impactful now as it was then but that's because we've seen loads of wrestling that that borrows from this. Yeah, that's the thing. It's,
1: It's Seinfeld syndrome. You know, Seinfeld was such a really... Influential sitcom in the way it was filmed and scripted, but it was so influential that so much stuff that came after it borrowed from it. And so you look at Seinfeld and you go, "Like, what? What's the deal with it? You yeah. re- you really get that sense watching what's this. What's the deal I with mean...
0: Seinfeld? <laughs> what's
1: the what's the what's the fucking deal with that guy on the chain?
2: <laughs> it's, so, but this is exactly what I mean. Like, I, I feel like you've got a lot of that backwards and forwards where you know it builds up, you know that style that kind of builds up. But I also feel like they do kind of keep subverting that as well because what i sort of noticed is that it builds you know it gets faster it gets higher you've got a bit more going and then they'll just be sort of a fake out dive or something that actually just slows down the pace all over again it felt like it was building and then it would not build and then it built and then it would not build and it almost felt like like they'd sort of started making progress on the match and then being told guys we need another five minutes Archie Kong's knackered. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know, the, the, and there was a lot of filling from there. Yeah,
1: it's kind of odd, like, there's the, the the bit where you first get to see Sasuke and Delphin coming in for some flippy stuff, and, like, Delphin does an absolutely fucking ridiculous tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. He, like, spins around three times. Oh, that looked amazing. Yeah, yeah but then, like, two minutes later, someone else does a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, and it's like, not nearly as good, so it's yeah, it's kind of those sort of things. There's a lot of ideas in this match. I certainly can't fault it for the number of ideas. Um, uh, the spot I like the best probably in it is um, Naniwa, does, so the spot he's most known for uh, and the one Ito did in that DDT match, uh, where he gets on the middle rope and he starts crab walking uh, yeah. along, along it, and then he does an elbow drop. And uh, you've, you've seen the spot um, you know, a lot if you've seen Grand uh, Naniwa matches, and Shiryu keeps rolling away. So Naniwa just has to keep going and then she will roll away again. He didn't even get to do the elbow job. He got pulled off the ropes.
2: Yeah, he still didn't land. I thought the thing that I just kept writing down, I've written down in more than one, more than one line of my notes includes the word silly. Like, and it I is it, silly. It, it, this match is extremely silly and it is, there's such a novelty factor compared to everything else that's been on the card, because it's even very different to, you know, the, the the minis match that we were talking about earlier, yeah. which at this point, by the way, is about six hours earlier, <laughs> you know, because these guys have been sat there, you know, since the dawn of time at this point. So, you know, this doesn't feel like anything else on the card in the same way that, you know, the minis match didn't feel like anything else on the card. Like, they're so ready. Like, this crowd, the crowd's really hot for this. Like, you know, they get the... Obviously, Sasuke's over because everyone knows who he is. But, you know, they're super... They're really into this. And I think they were just ready for a surprise at this yeah, point. I think, so I think, it's taken them in completely the opposite direction from where the VTOP hmm. first round was leading up.
1: Yeah, I think watching this match in a vacuum is kind of like... you. If you watch this match in a vacuum, you go, OK, that's like uh, a, you know, a, a pretty decent but not outstanding, you know wacky six-man tag match. But and so watching it in a vacuum, you probably feel that. But like... Yeah, we can't conceive of what it was like. I, like, con- considering asking if our arse cheeks could be amputated because, like, the the numbness has just become painful. we've, <laughs> sitting, we've got we've got deep vein thrombosis in our arse for uh, for sitting down for so long. And um, and like, yeah, the crowd probably was really hot for this because uh, fuck me if you're sitting through a ten hour wrestling show, you're gonna need some variety. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it, it is very silly. Like the the bit I've just got here. Uh, Dolphin inexplicably gets the better of Sato with a shoulder block that should not be happening. Uh, the relative size of those two uh, particular gentlemen, and uh, then Sasuke fakes out a dive, and then um, uh, Shinzaki um, he gets one of his opponents uh, does the arm ringer on him, and uh, he ascends to the he ascends to the top rope, begins w- walking along it, and we get. Sa shonen Gekko Niiku This is why I this is why I took all them Japanese lessons. Um, you maybe that's why be, he wrestled the Undertaker.
0: You should be ashamed. I, I just, I just, I just went for that there, but also, yes, I laughed. But fuck you. For for those
2: of you who are for, for those of you who are listening at home who don't have to be in the same room as George right now, um, I, I just want you to know that he looks entirely too pleased with himself.
1: I've got it fucking written out in kanji as well. I've been doing my doing my doing my homework.
2: Ugh. Um so, yeah. Nine, I, nearly nine years I've been with this guy, listeners. Nearly nine years. Yeah, but crucially, uh, not
0: nine years yet or ever. Uh, because you'll be, I've got t- a <laughs> <laughs> You've got a <laughs> month.
1: Or possibly 10 years by the time this episode comes out. But, um...
0: <laughs> I'm going to have to put a disclaimer at the start going, the time this was recorded, Sarah and George weren't um, engaged in serious <laughs> litigation battles against each other. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, as a result of this episode, Sarah and yeah. Stata finally decided to start going to couples therapy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, uh, not before time. So, um, uh, I mean, this is followed by the silliest, um, the silliest spot in the match, which is when Shiryu is doing the like the kip up fake out, where you're whoop 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 whoop, and he like kips up a little bit, and then he goes back, and then he gets up. And everyone spins around and jumps up and goes, Whoo! Now, now that, that's a spot that, again, that's a spot that you see in loads of comedy matches nowadays because that is kind of an iconic spot that you'd see in Michinoku pro matches. So then this is what I'm talking about. It's um, a spot you see a lot. Of, oh, that's where it comes from. So, again, again Seinfeld syndrome. Um, I have to say, like, I was... Um, impressed uh, by dick togo in this nearly as much as i'm impressed by his uh by his role as the manager of king of darkness evil in their current new japan pro wrestling uh, but like he for a big he, for a big lad he is very fleet of foot and it's probably my favorite section of the match was when he was fighting off two guys at once literally not even hitting them by just uh, dodging them uh, rope walking and just evading their ta- attack attacks and real drunken master kung fu shit before Shinzaki just walks in and bops him on the head, which I found very funny. And then uh, Shinzaki tries to splash him, but uh, uh, Togo moves, and Shinzaki just accidentally splashes his two prone teammates. Before apologising, they will just like regroup in their corner, like, "Well, we fucked that up. Time <laughs> to time uh, to reset." I did really
2: enjoy like. Yeah. There's a whole set. There's a there's a whole section of this match where you've got a couple of guys on the ground, uh, and you've got sort of like a tippy toe, sort of very light stomp as you walk over them. That was a, a more than a little reminiscent to me of, uh, you know, uh, Saint Raku and the Good Night Express. <laughs> yes. like, I, I don't, you know, yeah. So I am like, I'm seeing the. Imp- I can kind of. With in retrospect, you can kind of see the influence of kind of this on on everything, you know, including the up-up girls. So yeah, you know yeah, that ab- absolutely. And again, that's another sentence I don't think I thought I'd be saying today. R-
1: Raku um influenced by Michinoku Pro and the spirit of Rikidozan.
2: So um, <laughs> and Thomas the Tank engine. Yes, that
1: yes. That, that that too. Um now uh, sh- uh poor Shiryu. Uh the so if if this match has <laughs> what you could call a heat segment, then Shiryu basically Takes it. There's a couple of uh, extremely upsetting moments involving involving uh, Mr. Katayashi, um, including when the heel team uh, puts him in the tree of woe in the corner. Okay, pretty standard. And then Dolphin just starts grinding his foot into the guy's balls. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Look, you've got to make the most of the tree of woe predicament. Like it is. It's a. It's a very. It's a stupid spot because, like, how do you get into it and why would you stay in it? But I mean, if you can't move because someone's literally got literally holding your balls against the turnbuckle with their feet, then yeah,
1: it's easy. Fucking charge 100 quid for that.
0: There's also another, um, there's also another spot afterwards where he, he gets some sort of legs in a wishbone position. Um, and he's like got his foot over his balls, and he starts going, No, 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 no. And then he just puts him <laughs> in a scorpion deathlock. I'm like, That's very good. I'm just going, No, I'm not going to stand in your balls. I'm just going to put you in the fucking scorpion deathlock instead. Yeah.
1: I mean, arguably more upsetting was the. Um the spot in which Naniwa does an airplane spin. Again, pretty standard. And then just drop Shiri on his head.
2: Yeah, properly on his head.
1: He wasn't even like a fucking fireman's carry slam. It just like, OK, I'm going to drop you now. And where you land and on what is up to you. And he just does a hip swivel afterwards. <laughs> silly wrestler, Grand Naniwa. And I can see why you like the guy so much. <laughs>
0: Oh, like, uh, yeah, it's It's, so, it's so incredible. Good.
1: Yeah. Like, there's, there's some, like, I mean, there's there's also another spot where... This is the thing with, like, some kind of physical comedy as well. Um, There's a spot where Dolphin, like, he's facing the crowd and he does a sort of arm breaker <laughs> to one of his opponents in the ropes. And then he does it again. And I said, very in mind, I've never seen this spot before. I said... He's going to be tricked into doing it to one of his opponents, and sure enough, that's what happens. Sasuke tricks him into doing it to Naniwa. In instead, this leads to Naniwa, Naniwa pleading uh, with him,
0: going, "No, no, for fuck's sake!" <laughs> no. He's just so happy with yeah. himself.
1: That leads to him pleading with him. Then Naniwa tries running, uh, bailing on the match and running away up the ramp, but then Titus O'Neals it and, uh, and falls flat on his face. And then Delphine gives him a sweet little kiss before um, <laughs> before ushering him back to the ring to. Um,
2: to meet his fate.
1: Yeah, to meet his fate, yeah. About about 30 seconds after that, they do a spot where... Um, they do this a lot in the match, actually, what... Uh, my, my Joshi watching friends and I call the LCO spot even though it's not called that but it's because every LCO tag match has this where one of them will hold the other right, with their arms behind their back and the other one will try and hit them and then the person will duck and they'll hit the tag partner instead so yeah Dolphin gets Naniwa back into the ring goes to all this effort to stop him from barely on the match and then accidentally twats him like 30 <laughs> seconds later that's very good
0: the thing I like about it is that it's not the first not the first time that they do it so like they, they go into the ring and then get something you know oh they're yeah. going to do the LCO spot and then they actually hit the guy and you like, Fucking hell. And then they, I think they do it again and it hits the guy and you're like, all right, okay, so it's just a standard spot. Then the third time you wax him, like, there you go. It's far more satisfying when they give you the, the swerve. Yeah.
1: This match is principally comprised of LCO spots. <laughs> yeah,
2: pretty much. <laughs> do it so many times. <laughs> but um, you know what? LCO, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Oh yeah, exactly. I am fine with this. You're gonna
1: steal, steal from the best. Well, oh, absolutely. I guess i were. Guess, uh, uh, well, actually, they were doing this fucking card. So. Um...
2: Yeah, incredible.
1: Yeah.
0: In all fairness, with Mitch Noker Pro, I mean, I mentioned all the sort of Vontage 6, 8 man, 10 man tags that they used to have and stuff like that. Like, A lot of it is based on the sort of the chaos of yeah. guys running in and out, doing moves to each other, double teams, triple teams, putting each other in like giant hexagonal submission moves of like eight people mm. and it's all over the shop and there's people moving in and out. It is, it is a very physical it is, it, it is sort of a, a performance art sort of thing in that there are so many moving parts are sort of doing things and there's so many like layers to it that everyone has to know where they need to be. And it's such a fast pace that in these sort of matches where you are kind of watching it for 20 minutes going, fucking hell, there's going... And then they'll do, like, some insane exchange of, like, flips and stuff like that, and then go do, like, jazz hands at the end just to kind of lighten up the mood and things like that. And, like, the LCO spots are, like, that that's such an integral part of that sort of match style of having, you know, oh, we're going so fast that you don't really pay any attention and you twat your own team member and stuff like that. And, like, yeah... It's yeah. it, is, it is an integral part of that sort of thing and you know, of the sort of Michinoku Pro style just because of the chaotic hecticness of it all.
1: Yeah, just like a little bit of Keystone Cop slapstick. Like I think I think that's something yeah. that you kind of expect when you when you see this kind of stuff. I think the general era fuckery uh, about the matches is sort of aided by the fact that after. Uh, uh, actually after Naniwa is coaxed back to the ring, uh, Shinzaki does a really excellent Russian leg sweep, one of the best Russian legs i have ever seen to Shiryu, and then a Yurinagi for two, and I think that's the first pin attempt of the match, yeah. and it, it comes like 15 minutes into it, um, um, and it's immediately followed by an extremely silly submission spot where everyone's legs get tangled together, and then Naniwa just does the crab dance uh, in a circle around them before crawling on top of uh, everyone to try and get the win, and then this is the point at which the match, so like, the pace has been like not slow as such, but it's been like it's been slower than you might imagine uh, you know, if you're familiar with some of the other stuff that came out of the legacy of Universal Lucha Libre. But then we've got like stereo Ranas from the three three faces, and then essentially whoever laid out this match has gone, Oh, you like dives? Oh huh? well, have all <laughs> the dives in the world. So um, Finally. Yeah, Shiryu does a dive to the outside, and Aniwa does one. Sato does a uh, 619 fake-out into a plancher. Delphin does uh, a crossbody from the top rope to the outside. Sasuke, true to form, does a springboard moonsault and just flies over the barricades. Like, just way too much air on this. And uh, uh, Shinzaki does a very graceful sort of... He has one ro- one hand on the rope and he's kind of a half... twist. You know what it is? It's like one of those fucking uh, dismounts in the uh, Olympic gymnastics.
2: Imagine being athletic enough to overshoot one of these, though. Yeah yeah I know. Imagine being able to get so much air on a dive that you can't guarantee you I, won't go straight over the barricade. I, I also find
1: it I also find it funny that like you know when you do stuff like this you kind of lead Lead up to the most spectacular dive, and it's just like, hmm, who's the most spectacular high flyer of these six? Jinsei Shinzaki, that's the man.
0: <laughs> I am, um, this is like the Trans Siberian Express of dive trains. Like, this is proper, <laughs> yeah, there, a lot to, I love the fact, I think Super Delphin as well carks it into the crowds because he ends up in a chair. <laughs> And he just sort of has a wee <laughs> yeah, does. has a wee pat on the shoulder. The commentator just says, "You're right? I know." Baron just has a wee chat with him as it, this chaos is still going on. And he goes, "See you later, pal," and then just walks away like from the commentator. It's just really just great.
1: Yeah, just like chatting up. Was that Doris Blind in the front row that uh, that he, he like like has a little word with? Um, there's like a white blonde woman in the front row.
0: Can you imagine being Doris Blind watching this? like what what the fuck would you be thinking at this point
1: you won't see this at the world amateur championships in Ask
0: my husband david <laughs> is going to not believe what i have to, do to tell him <laughs> when we go back to our shadow oh, <laughs> renovating um, the thatched and- roof on the on the <laughs> on the outhouse
1: <laughs> and uh so yeah this leads uh directly into the finish um which is going to like so the match like whatever it's sort of should we say idiosyncrasies structurally does at least uh, build to a finish. So Delphin does the tornado DDT to Shiryu, uh, tries the the signature Delphin clutch, but then Sato comes and breaks it up. Before Shiryu and Shinzaki do some stereotope's. back in the uh, back in the ring, the camera completely misses a Sasuke nearfall. <laughs> um, Sasuke gets another two and then uh, pins Naniwa with this huge crucifix power bomb. Look absolutely. Oh, that looks
2: hideous. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's that'll brutal. do it.
1: Didn't you see a Sasuke special in this match. He, he killed himself in like three other ways, but like um
2: Yeah, oddly chose not to do that. Yeah. And...
1: Um so and and that and that's it. So the uh, the face team wins and everyone has a good time and it's time to get the V top competitors uh back out to uh brutalise each other in some varied and fun ways.
2: <laughs> out of your ice bath Alger.
1: <laughs> like, oh no, I've got wrestle two more times. <laughs> um so yeah, this match. Um okay, uh start so, uh, final final thoughts on this
2: i it fulfills a function in the interminable big egg card like it absolutely it is offering something that nothing else does and yeah. and i'm really con- and you know we didn't really do our sort of final thoughts on the on the minis match either but i think that that's the thing that they both have in common yeah. is that they both give you something that's completely feels quite fresh and different compared to what else is happening in the rest of the card Um, and I think that that's it's needed, I think you do need those kind of breaks and you need those breathers Um, I think, yeah I mean this was just, this match in particular was just, again it's the Seinfeld syndrome, it's the feeling of like I didn't necessarily need it but I think the context in which we're watching it is completely different now you know we're watching it with you know 30 years of of wrestling that's been influenced by this we're also watching it in isolation like we didn't watch this you know having had like Doris Blind and Kyoko Hamaguchi and people like that. Yeah. We we didn't have to watch shoot boxing earlier <laughs> uh, earlier well, in the day. We did have to watch matches. shoot
1: boxing for this.
2: We did, but we didn't have to do it in the same day as watching this.
1: Yeah, that that's that's true. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think you are right. <laughs> like both these matches do offer something different, like separate from the fact that like it's blokes wrestling yeah. rather than women.
2: And I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy it. I'm just thinking that it's a it's a different experience for me watching it now. And I think it's also different for me at least partially I think it's also kind of what this show in particular has come to mean over the years as well I think it's um you know to come to it as a woman now thinking okay so this was kind of the peak of women's wrestling and it probably matters more to more to me in 2022 than it did to anybody who was actually at the show to be like well why have we got some men on this show yeah I don't think that anybody who turned up like I also don't think they came to see this match. They came to see Chikisun Agaia. And that yeah. was, you know, and in that respect, that's kind of the, that's what the show was there to do. This is, it's really just a kind of, it's a break on the card. Aja gets to rest up. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was, and it was a really good laugh. And I imagine that at the time it was, there were people going, thank God I needed that. Like mm. at the end of those really intense matches that they'd had.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that, uh, yeah, you, you are uh you are absolutely right. Of course, I, I think that um, both of these—they, I mean, yeah, yeah—you're not. I, I assume there were like some Michinoku Pro hardcores. Like, oh well, if our guys are on the show, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to go to it. But they can't have made much more than a tiny fraction of the number of people who are actually at the show. I think this match is most probably. Like, I can't speak to the, uh, you know. Business decisions of the Matsunaga brothers, like you know, uh, twenty eight years on, but um I would imagine this was kind of on the card as a, I guess, a gesture of goodwill to some of the Universal Lucha Libre people for, I guess, helping uh, AJW grow their audience in the um, in the early part of the decade. Again, not saying that like, oh, it is a good thing that there was a, a, a men's match on this on this women's wrestling show, but I would imagine that was the thinking behind it, and I i enjoyed it for what it was. It. Um, I don't think that or the other match we talked about on the on this episode will, you know, they don't crack my top ten matches on this show or even particularly come close. Um, but it's, it's but none
2: of them's my yeah. none of them's my bottom match on the show either.
1: No, not at all. But like it was uh, p- p- presumably that was the shootbox. <laughs> um,
2: I mean, yes, yeah. because they uh, the 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 indian children wrestling at least you know got a lot at least got a lot of love from me for being very serious and kind of being very, very committed as well. well very committed yeah, as well yeah. like
1: but yeah absolutely had its place i enjoyed it probably a bit too long um, but uh, you know, it was it was fine for what it was. I watched some Michinoku Pro. I had a nice time doing so. I'm probably going to forget about it. Uh, you know, uh, mm. next week, uh, D- David. Seeing as you've got like a, a greater <laughs> emotional attachment to the the wrestlers in this match, I imagine your thoughts are somewhat more positive.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I, as I said before, like I I never like I never watch a Grand Ninja match and feel anything but just warm, like a, a big warm comfort and blanket and a a big mug of warm soup in a cold winter's day. And yeah, like I, I, like I you could give me literally any grand in the O match um out there and I'll watch the fuck out of it and I'll enjoy it. Um, I, I Again, he's one of my favourite workers in, um, in like Japanese cruiserweight history. And yeah, uh, obviously he's in this so it's going to be great regardless of what else is in the match. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I really enjoyed it. it. Actually, strangely enough, I didn't realise it was the longest one. I seen it I seen the run length um and obviously I was like, all right fair enough but there's quite a lot of bump around everything on this show so yeah like, uh, you know it really it, it flew by for me i really enjoyed it again like the, the this is so innovative and like again the, the, they kind of mixed in that they had the ability to pull off these insane stuff and do stuff with like the dive trade and things like that that you know, are obviously really, really aesthetically pleasing to the eye, and as well as that, they you know they, they know that you know it's not all just about work right? You kind of need to have uh, you know have, have more strings to your bow, so to speak, and they could put in silly stuff and all that. And yeah, it's uh, these guys. Uh, you can watch most stuff by them, and it's always always very enjoyable. And yeah, I yeah, I, it's not it's not the greatest match I've ever seen, but um certainly like i i had a thoroughly good time watching it and again like just any chance to see grand naniwa i'll take it with both hands
2: i've got to say i'm i'm getting a lot of joy just from hearing you talk about how much you love grand naniwa to be honest like it's really obvious i loved hearing talk i love hearing people talk about things that they like genuinely love with nothing but warmth and affection and, and that it's just it's really lovely to hear this,
0: actually. Well, the thing is, is that obviously, right, how many how many people do you know that are into Puro outside of the Twitter bubble? How many people in your actual real life do, do you know outside of, you know, uh, like online Twitter discourse? So, like, not many people. Like, your day-to-day friends, people at work, people you see every week literally and stuff like that. nobody exactly right?
2: i made friends over the internet because nobody else gets it exactly yeah.
0: that's how that's how this podcast started because none of us had other friends who are into this <laughs> or if they were, yeah. they were into, you know 1999 wwf and that was it right i don't speak to people about mitch no cooper or anything because my friends in real life who like wrestling are into wwf and don't care about japanese wrestling i don't get to talk about grand and too much but i've been watching him for like well over a decade now and yeah i it's it's just really nice to be able to see like because he doesn't get talked about mainly because i think he died about i think it was a seven six seven eight years ago and like he he was just kind of you know farting about doing indies and stuff and again he was unwell at the end and all that so he he didn't have the sort of the liger career where he was kind of fighting for titles and kind of new japan all that and you know he he had his once at Pro finished. He was sort of like like quite a lot of the AGW guys who weren't sort of the upper echelon. Where it was just and even then the AGW sort of higher ups where it would be once AGW finished, he kind of just you know oh right well I'll go to whatever Indy's going. But it was just on a sort of lower level. The Grand Anyone, yeah like I, it's it's one of those things really. Like, I I always like he, he's seen about him and like. It's, he doesn't get talked about pretty much at all outside of these ma- Michinoku Pro matches and like he 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 was a, a, such a mercurial talent for me that it's just lovely being able to spend five minutes just talking about how much he's he's meant to me over the years so yeah um, yeah he's he's fantastic.
1: Hmm. What, what what better note to end on than that I think, so uh, next time on Big Egg Podcasting Universe, join us for episode the 12th, where finally finally, we will be getting into the VTOP tournament the uh, centrepiece of this show,
2: finally we're getting to the fireworks
1: factory, we we actually are a, the 8 woman, one night knockout tournament featuring talent from 4 different promotions um, and it's these are amongst the best matches on the this show and considering we've had a lot of very good matches so far um just think about the uh the the, the, what that means and including one match in particular that is talked of in you know Ra- rapturous terms and might be my favourite Joshi match of all time, if not my favourite match of but all time Can to it top the minis Ooh. match, George? Uh, yeah, I, I mean it, 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 does, it doesn't have anyone spitting mist in the air. But... That is
2: true and that is to its detriment. Is
0: there any trolleys <laughs> at all, no? Um, as I call, no, like wheeling no, a Hokuto down a trolley I'd actually, I'd <laughs> pay good money to see that, that would be great <laughs> that's the I real, think that's, we'd all pay good that's, money that's the, to see that
2: That's the
1: real trolley that. problem yeah. So, um so yeah, but like we're going to be talking about that. So we are not going to cram the entire tournament into one episode because it would arguably be be longer than the Big Egg Wrestling Universe itself. So what we are going to do, we're going to split, split it into three episodes. In the first episode, we're going to talk about the first two quarterfinals. In the uh, second episode, we're going to talk about the other two quarters. And in the last one, we're going to talk about the semis and the final. So um, it's uh, it's going to be really fun. And uh, like I mean, we've been looking forward to this for literally years. Talking about uh, the V Top tournament we hope that you will enjoy listening to it as well we've certainly enjoyed presenting this episode to you episode number 11 of Big Egg Podcasting Universe so before we all sign off I think we should do our plugs so
2: um, my favourite is the AC model as it comes Fucks.
1: well what's the worst joke me saying come on boy gold school in Japanese or that
0: <laughs> I mean it's come on boy I take no gold, gold school, yeah. <laughs>
2: yes. yes it is David yes it is um, okay so My plugs are taking this from the top. What what interesting stuff have I done recently? It's been that long since the last episode. I've forgotten if anything's changed. Um, So first things first, I wrote an essay for a book called Women Love Wrestling. It is a book by and about women loving wrestling. Um, It's great, like, you don't even have to read my bit at all because it's right at the front so you can skip it and then get on to the really good stuff with some fantastic writers talking about all kinds of experiences in kind of the world of 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 wrestling and the proceeds from this book go to so in the u.s proceeds are going straight to Rain, um so and in the uk they're going directly to women's aid so the brilliant causes really important um just give give them your money like buy the book give them your money enjoy it like Mick Foley has read this book and said that it was good like that's a uh, and frankly you could put that on my tombstone like as far as I'm concerned that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me
0: three stars some funny bits Mick Foley the Scotsman
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mick Foley would never write for the Scotsman (laughs)
2: mick foley would never be anything other than effusive in his praise because he's a very nice man but yeah so that's um so yeah the the plugs um the links to these will be in the show notes when we put uh, when we put that out um but yeah you can get that on amazon and if you're willing to you know face the dread amazon i'm sure you can get it in other places as well um but that's my really big one to be honest um i'm also going to say you know follow me if you want at Sarah Parkin 1 on Twitter um I'm hoping to god that you know none of my like prospective future employers are finding it cuz it's literally just me getting angry about things that happened at like Royal Rumbles or like various other pay-per-views. Like it's literally that and me like complaining um about uh first bus in Leeds. Those are literally the only things I tweet about.
1: First bus, come on the podcast and defend
0: yourself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, we have to defeat them in the marketplace of ideas, darling. I don't know whether you've heard this or not. Um yeah, so those are and a, a quick shout out as well to um, friend of the podcast, um LJ Gray, who has written um who wrote an incredible um essay for another um anthology called um, so hormonal uh, which was published by um, Monstru- monstrous regiment publishing so independent publisher tick Congre- uh, sort of collection of essays from absolutely incredible you know writers talking about really personal experiences and and also speaking from a huge range of uh, from a huge range of sort of different perspectives tick three it's about having and living with and the challenges of hormones you know this is something that's under-discussed and we kind of really don't talk about enough um, and I think it's a really important topic and it's a really like it's a really warm and funny and emotional and kind of really well put together anthology um, and I'm not just saying this because they are our friend but LJ has absolutely kind of put together one of the one of the best pieces of writing that I've, I've read in quite a long time. Um, so those are my plugs so you know one uh, one for me and one for LJ. So, yeah, as,
1: as, as far as the fire I've got to shill, um, you can, well, firstly, follow us on Twitter, at Pura Podcast. Um, we are on uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. You can uh, follow us at the Pura, Pura Podcast if you want to consume any more episodes of this uh, of this uh, fine audio presentation.
2: And why wouldn't you?
1: <laughs> yes, indeed, Hell after yeah. what you've heard today. Um, and uh, it's not just David talking about crab wrestlers, but we do other stuff. So we, uh, I have also written a chapter in a book called 100 greatest literary detectives if you're a fan of uh, detective fiction crime fiction whatever uh, do check that out it's a pretty good uh, primer for the genre uh, i've got a novel called the rise and fall of ricky dozan which um is something i'm extremely proud of having uh, having written you can find that for two pound 49 for your kindle i think it's um Seventeen ninety nine for a print on demand paperback, uh, a real labour of love from uh, from me. It took me about four years on and off. It's a novel set in the world of professional wrestling in Japan, really the advent of uh, of uh, of the industry. So uh, please do check that out. You can read other writings of ours on i maintain the double Stump is silly uh, There's all sorts of uh, all sorts of random musings on there. Um, I shall also shout out some uh, comrades in arms of ours, seeing as uh, Sarah has done the same for LJ. So um, uh, just and this. This is to do with Joshi Wrestling as well. So if you want to check out these uh, these fine uh, creators. So uh, if you go to at Oysters Earrings on Twitter, our friend Luke has a wonderful monthly digest of the various things in wrestling that he has enjoyed watching. Um, this uh, is mostly women's wrestling. In fact, uh, entirely women's wrestling um, some months. But it's a very good way in if you are... If you're not familiar with women's wrestling in japan or maybe you just watch uh, stardom or you just watch stardom in tokyo joshi there's some more out of the way stuff that he reviews he's very good at getting across uh, his uh, his his ideas about what what is wrestling to him what makes good wrestling also our friend uh, stuart everson at everson 83 that is i-v-e-r-s-e-n uh, has a uh, blog which he calls um, ramblings about wrestling and uh, he does show reviews of uh, Joshi wrestling and also does a monthly summary as well. So he's got a uh, particularly good uh, Tokyo Joshi coverage, uh, reviews even the uh, silly out of the way shows and uh, yeah, just tells you what's worth watching. It's very good. Um, also uh, at It Dana now on Twitter, who is a lovely Canadian lady who does, um, the uh well she does uh translations of mostly stardom uh promos press conferences and uh stuff like that um and it's always great to have um people go into the trouble of translating some of the uh Japanese content that you, know, you don't necessarily get on the uh, on the stardom world with the with the subtitles you know, some of the things surrounding the uh surrounding the wrestling there's a female wrestling journalist called Mugiko Ozaki who has done a series Talk about you know, what is strength in female professional wrestling and then just translated the interviews from that and they're, they're very insightful about the performance. So I would really recommend uh, doing that.
0: I was I was gonna say like in terms of like translators and stuff like that, um like you, you, you can't really fathom just like this sort of like translators are the backbone of like the sort of English language <laughs> bureau community. Podcasts like this Go don't happen mind. if there if there isn't people translating shit. I mean going into big egg do you know what i mean like if we didn't have like reviews or whatever or, or like translations or stuff like that of just and of like websites and stuff and people like taking information and putting it in the english language how fucked would it be yeah. for research and you know stuff like that so yeah <laughs> yeah um, like the, these people are doing god's work um definitely um someone else doing god's work um daniel um daniel baker handling com. uh
1: david what about yourself
0: um, so i run um, a, a party festival podcast and um, we discuss week to week uh, the generally daft goings on of the club um we're in a we're in a bizarre period at the moment we're actually not too bad um which is, is quite uneventful usually we have lots of weird and uh stuff going on and like, we're quite terrible on that but we're actually not too bad this season week like, we are um sort of instilling a title hunt but um we do lots of podcasts that we actually, we're actually going through the podcast at the moment. We're kind of archiving a lot of old stuff. I'm taking all the stuff out of the old stuff that's actually still relevant, putting it on YouTube. So if you put... Uh, it's uh, podcast is called Draw Loads or Draw. You can go to um youtube uh draw a draw and you can see lots of stuff there we have lots of stuff that people who are maybe not into festival or football would enjoy just generally very comedic stuff we've done lots of stuff about like the worst signings that we've had and um, including the legendary jack stoder who uh, could you could do a, a whole series on the madness of when jack stoder punched a bin on his debut um <laughs> and um, and that's like not even in the top five mental things that he did but um we Do lots of stuff like that, and i'm doing lots of uh we're doing like documentaries we actually had daniel um from our sister podcast the pure free podcast on uh to talk about a trade union strike in 1921 and the the day before the the scottish cup final where thistle won Uh, so we've done a documentary on the cup final and we've done i basically crowbarred daniel in to get about 20 minutes of socialist chat um in in all honesty um as well as that we've done stuff like we've done a, a chronicle of Um, the night we defeated Falkirk 5-0 to win the League 1 title when no one was allowed in the stadium. And it's a very comprehensive sort of sound art thing. We've got Voice notes from people who were who were you know watching it at home. Me and Matt recorded our entire Skype chat as he popped open champagne. Um, we had <laughs> uh, there was hundreds of people up at the canal celebrating, so we had people taking videos and audio from the canal of people celebrating and stuff, and partying outside in Fahill Roads, um, ta- giving uh, players bottles of Buckfast for the window to tan. Um, interviews with people who were at the canal, um, interviews with people who were in the our, our good friend James Kearney, one of the best sports reporters out, um, he um, was in the stadium, one of the very, very lucky people um, to actually be in. We got him on to interview. And yeah, it's Luke, um, who you mentioned earlier, who we had on in you know, peer pre-podcast for our January 4th special and stuff. He was very complimentary about it. He said it was some of the best editing he's ever heard on a podcast from someone who's not like getting paid to do it. Um, and it's very complimentary. We are
1: not getting paid to do we are any most of this. We're definitely
0: not getting paid to do any of this. But he, he, he was very, uh, very complimentary about just how, how good it was. And I, I think that genuinely, if you have an interest in culture in Glasgow, for example, it is, it is, it's not really a football podcast, it's literally just about. A group of people in Glasgow having having the best night of their lives. Basically, um, it just so happens to be that they've won the they won the league one title and they're doing it. Um, so I would definitely suggest that. Um, and we're doing lots of other mad stuff. I'm doing a walking tour of Partick. Um, you wouldn't believe the amount of stuff non-fiscal related. I would probably make a claim for Partick being the capital of football in Scotland. There's so much happened in there that like you you couldn't you can't fathom the impact of that small. Uh, town you know, area of glasgow has had on the game of football you know, the first ball that was commercially used and like properly mass manufactured was there first ever scotland england game first ever professional players are from Partick. rangers are founded there and um, you know um, the old rangers all that like they um and we we're doing a walking tour of it if our good friends in uh, glasgow football tours we're doing that in the summer as well as that, um, I know this has went on for ages, I so do apologise, we had Maddie Black on, um, actual full-on SNP MP person you see on the news, um, like one of the most famous politicians in Britain, came on to chat about being a fissile fan, her memories, about the time she uh, created Thistle and Pez and made 10 like 7 foot 4 players and one 4 foot 6 guy called Lee Stewart um, and took them <laughs> in the Master League. Everything. I would definitely suggest, at the very least, if you if you have any any sort, even if you don't have an interest in thistle, listen to the maddie Black podcast because you will really enjoy it. And like I, I've, I've had so many people come up to me who now think I'm part of Mary Black's inner circle and absolutely loved it and wanted to you know come out of the pub with us and all that and stuff like that. And yeah, it's quite well. So I definitely suggest the maddie Black interview with Drawers or Drawers. Yeah, it's it's probably the most prejudice I've ever been. It's like literally meeting a political hero. Like I've been in the Scottish Independence Movement literally since I could walk. Um I was there when it was just a mad fringe concern and going and then seeing someone my age well actually she's probably a good few years younger than me, but someone of my age stand up and be a pro she like she 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 took Jeremy Corbyn to task for not being socialist enough. That's the sort of like you know like a, a proper hero, and she was just like yeah, came on. She had a great time, absolutely loved it. So definitely listen to that. Um, another another thing I want to uh, plug as well, just because is so basically we're recording this. As I said, are in the sort of midst of a really good season at the moment. We're actually um. I'm not going tomorrow um, to the game, despite the fact that we. Are, it's possibly the most important week of our season this week. Um, the game tomorrow and the game against our bro from Tuesday will define our season. If we win both of them, we might go and win the title. Is. I I'm, I cannot begin to imagine how huge this game is um, and tomorrow and Tuesday. And I'm not going tomorrow. And the reason I'm not going tomorrow is that we're playing Rafe Rovers away. Um, to be honest, you may have heard of Rafe Rovers um, after the very, the, just the frankly horrifying story that came out about them signing um, a, a person who was convicted of rape in a civil court. Um, they signed them because they wanted them to score goals and it blew up. Um, to the point where it was in CNN, it was in German news. Everything, the, the entire world was talking about Rafe over. So the first, for the first time since he went one up against Bayern Munich, fucking thirty years ago, um, and it was not for a good reason. And I, I took, I, I took this the, the stance where um, they, 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 so David Goodwill is not playing for them. He's never played a game for them. They've released him, and but they, for some reason, signed him on a two and a half year contract, and he's due to get hundred and fifty thousand pounds payout because they've terminated his contract early. The, t- um, to, to put it into perspective, the victim, the, the person who he, he, who he did rape, was given a £100,000 settlement, and David Goodrilly uh, declared bankruptcy to avoid paying it, paying her. Um, he is, I cannot stress to you how much of pawn scum the man is. I despise him. I hate seeing him at games. I talk about how, if football is an escape for me, it's always, it's you know the one place I go and I don't think about real issues, and that's why I love it so much. When I, when we when I've been to see us play him, I just genuinely feel sick the whole time that the fact that he's just stealing a living when he shouldn't be. I know I'm going off on one um, about this. I I just despise the fucking man. But basically, I'm not going tomorrow because they 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 they're paying him hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and the directors at no point have said right, it was our mistake, we'll pay for that. Or, you you, you know, something like that where the, the club is paying for it. The club's money is being used to pay for this. And it's their decision to do that. And again, it's your decision to go tomorrow if you want. You know, you can go if you're happy with that, or whatever. It is entirely fine. But I'm not going. I'm going to fucking Linlifco. Going to we'll see Linfield Rose versus Whitehall Welfare. I'm really excited for it. But the reason I bring this up um, is that, The the reason it obviously didn't go because I don't want to give £20 to a rapist, essentially. I don't want to give my £20 ticket money knowing that it will go to pay him off. So I'm not going to Rafe Rovers tomorrow. What I am doing instead, though, is I am donating my £20 ticket money. I've already donated it before as well when this all broke. Um, There's a man called Martin Glass who is a Rafe Rovers fan who... Um, the, the vast majority of Rafe Rovers fans, to their credit, who weren't just wee boys who really don't understand and just make jokes and just edgelords and stuff like that, the vast majority of sensible fucking Rafe Rovers fans were absolutely sickened, And it was them it was them that, that caused them to, to release them, basically, because they, they were so vehement in their disgust at this. So they, they set up a, a fundraiser for Rape Crisis Scotland um, where Rafe Rovers fans could instead of going to the game, donate their money to the fundraiser. They have raised, in the space of three weeks, £15,000 to for Rape Crisis awesome. Scotland from people like myself. Matt as well, who I host Draw, a draw the Podcast with, is not going tomorrow. He's in a family holiday away to Rothsey, just because he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give him the money. And he's donated his money as well um i've donated some stuff to there's a women's center in mary hill down the road from far hill. i've donated some stuff to that as well you can put whatever you like if you can't it's fair enough you know again not everybody knows about this story even though it was widespread no no people might not care you, you probably should to be fair but if you have any sort of spare money donate it to rape crisis scotland women's aid whatever just you know do that because you know it they they do. They, Rape Crisis Scotland especially do some incredible work, and they support people who have been assaulted or abused or whatever, irrespective of the circumstances, irrespective of who they are. They give them help and they give them support and stuff like that, and they absolutely deserve it. So yeah, um, I've got other stuff, you know, at Viano 14, or that. Nobody fucking cares. Nobody cares about my podcast Just fucking donate money to Rape Crisis Scotland, right? Just do that.
1: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think you know. In, in the light of you know, some of the stuff that's come out about uh, what's been going on in wrestling, I think it's more incumbent exactly.
0: than ever. Yeah, definitely. Honours,
1: not just as wrestling fans, but you know, f- fuck it, as human beings to try and you know consume responsibly and ethically and if the if there is a you know if you see red lines like you know, don't don't cross them do something good with that uh, with that money instead mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. we
2: will include the link as well obviously we do push out show notes on the website i maintain the double foot silly.com um for each of these episodes of big egg podcasting universe so in the episode description whenever you get the um wherever you get your podcast there will link there will be a link to the show notes and in that there will also be there'll be links to everything that we Talking about here, so yeah. we'll include that link to write to and,
0: you. And I just want to apologize about the fact that these are just lighthearted plugs about my Instagram where I just post I know, memes and stuff like it, that, it, and I've, I've dragged it down and got this, but like none of this matters like that matters
1: okay so thank you very much for listening this was episode 11 of big egg podcasting universe i'm signing off for david and sarah we have been uh, it has been a privilege to get our sounds in your ears and uh, as ever so uh, we will see you next time and uh, until then no awkward class war and see you later